0: How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Sci-Show Podcast, episode 213. You know what, Zeke? Or as Jake uh, likes to call it, 100. I was going to
1: say, I keep <laughs> I keep typing out, I set up the Audacity projects, and I write TCSP underscore ep, whatever number it is. Mm-hmm. And I keep typing the wrong thing. I'm like, is it 100 and... Wait, no, it's 212? No, we did 12 already. Fit. I'm getting really... And then I'm um, vocally, I keep saying the wrong episode number as well. It's
0: weird to think about... Isn't it? Mm. You really don't take in the scope. I know we had our fourth end of it, uh, end of season four, um, only a month ago. Yes, um, and where well, we talked about the great uh, film what? White Noise. White Noise. <laughs> <laughs> Every week, <laughs> yeah. Or season, season, season five will just be White Noise. Um, <laughs> I listened to. Speaking of podcasts, not to be too tangential, but with White Noise, I listened to Film Spotting, which is a Mm. Up in the eight hundreds for their episode. Cool. Yeah, they've been Well, they
1: they do like interviews in addition to weekly. Is that how yeah, they... And yeah, they, and they're
0: like industry critics and um, sure. They radio probably hosts. they probably
1: make more money than we do
0: to do that show. Yeah, I mean the fact that they host <laughs> a live panel, which no. To be fair, we have thought about doing a live panel at mm. some point. Um, we, we did a couple where there was
1: just a random person in the room silently <laughs> listening to us <laughs> record for two hours. I We've rec- had that happen before. Yeah.
0: It would be interesting to um, gauge if there would be interest in having a um, live audience at some point. We have mm. talked about actually promoting this podcast in some way, well, shape or no, form at some point. can't do that. Um,
1: um, I haven't made a Facebook post about this show, with the exception of Taxi Drive episode 200, in nearly two years now. Yeah. It's it's just, the show just exists, seek
0: like, Yeah. For anyone exists, to find. Anyone to find. Um, still somehow gets... Some viewer chip, so that's great. Uh, that We've got a good average. We do. We have a consistent average, which is good. Um, but yeah, no, it's it is quite funny just to really grasp how many episodes have been. Mm. One day we'll have to get a poster printed with all the little thumbnails.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we got the shirt. You did shirts for the yeah. first hundred. Yeah. So we need a proper poster with, I guess, two hundred plus now. Yeah,
0: maybe maybe we'll do one for two fifty. Yeah, when we get to two fifty. But Jake, fun. yes, obviously we normally kick our show off with a nice fun film trivia fact yes james cameron's titanic Mm. do you have a titanic fact for me i do i do
1: very titanic the titanic budget of this film (laughs) yes of course the entire industry in the late 90s was anticipating the release of this film because it had one of the most bloated budgets of all time at the time now 200 million dollars is pretty standard fare for your marvel films these days yes for the immaculate ant-man and the wasp marvel presents quantum mania releasing very very soon that 200 million uh probably well almost all of them are now that's, wow. that's the thing but in the 90s that was an absolutely insane amount of money to spend on a film i think is it the most bloated budget of any film
0: i imagine that adjusted point? for invasion even adjusted for inflation mmm it would still probably hit number one. Maybe That's Avatar true. might surpass it, the original Avatar.
1: Yeah, well then Avatar. But this is the weird thing about uh, what the Avatar: Way of Water is that they were like, we need two billion to break even, even though the budget wasn't two billion. But it, yeah, the numbers get a little weird with that that whole shtick. But you know, with that being the case at the time, how massive this budget was, and they, and you had 20th Century Fox and Paramount. I think it was one of the first times ever that you had multiple studios co-funding films, which is slightly more common now, I guess. Um, But the internal concerns caused James James Cameron to forfeit his $8 million director's salary and his percentage of the gross. And yet, when the film went on to become a a huge success, 20th Century Fox still tried denying Cameron's back-end salary. And eventually, through legal obligation, they had to pay him. Could you
0: imagine making titanic and not getting paid for it well
1: that but from from the producer standpoint of being such a dick (laughs) that you you just made a film that made you billions of dollars and you're like i'm still not gonna pay the guy who made it
0: (laughs) produced it wrote it edited it that's pretty (laughs) I, i i quite find what i wonder what pressure um he had to be under to forfeit like grossing that that to me like, is, like, he, the 8 I think million. he had like
1: Rupert Murdoch making comments to him like bro using a lot of our money right now <laughs> because the thing is I think the word on the street was this film was going to bomb because it was taking such a big budget and because it got delayed six months into a December release mm. I mean the general consensus was this film's going to be terrible so people were freaking out about the money loss their careers being over yeah. so I think that was James Cameron being like alright well as a you know, good faith move. Real all in
0: moment. Yeah.
1: I'm going to prove to you my dedication by forfeiting my, my share. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, crazy, crazy story behind the making of this film. That is crazy. Well,
0: everything in this film is big. Yes. Um, it's the go big or go home attitude. And I've got a fact about Gloria Stewart, who plays the elderly Rose. Oh, Um, okay. I found this one quite, kind of beautiful and poetic. Um, She was 86 on the film, and obviously in the film, Rose is 100 100. turning 101. Yes. um, And was obviously aged up to play Rose at 100. Now, I find that quite interesting. She was aged up (laughs) Imagine aging someone up at 86 to 100. Like, what's the difference at that point? I'm sorry. (laughs) Extra wrinkles. Apparently, she did not find this a pleasant experience. But what I found really poetic is obviously at the age of 86 and 19, Ninety-seven. She did yep. pass away in twenty ten, but at the age of a hundred. Ah. Oh, so, and I find well one done. thing that I imagine like the haters or, or people that, that that might go, oh, that's probably that's reaching a little, is the fact that Rose is a hundred in this film, turning a yeah. hundred and one. But the fact that the actor made it to a hundred shows it's possible. Yeah. It's rare, but it's possible. Oh
1: no, I d- I didn't blink at at a hundred. It's like. There's, there's She's very coherent, for, 100.
0: very coherent for a hundred, to be fair. Yeah, um, she is.
1: But, but, you know, I just... I caught that as a very interesting character trait. She's still quite materialistic, even at a hundred. She's got all her... <laughs> she brings all her photos and luggage and And her, I guess um, when we talk about the What, what the, were the pets? Birds? Uh, it was like Not a little pets.
0: chihuahua, wasn't it? It was like a little... Uh, well, Pomeranian. A, I swear it was in a cage. Nah, it was a bird. It oh, wasn't a bird. It was okay. a little dog. Okay. okay. Pomeranian, I'm pretty sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. But Jake... I'm going to take a guess this film's on the fil- poster <laughs> behind me. The 1,100 films to watch before you die. Um, yeah,
1: it's on, the, it's on the poster. And it absolutely should yeah, be. Yeah, it should be. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is a monumental film. It is, I mean, one of the most important, biggest films of all time. Easily comparable to Gone with the Wind. And I'm sure when we did Gone with the Wind last year, we probably compared it to Titanic back then. So it's like, they kind of go hand in hand. And I think they're both just, yeah, in terms of the scale. Alone, they should be on Scale's there.
0: Scale's the big word, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but uh, the quality as well. I reckon we'll, we'll get into that very shortly, Zeke. Mm. So I'm excited, excited to do that.
0: What have you caught in the last week, Jake?
1: Caught quite a few things, actually. Just a few things. Yeah, I'm going to start with the most recent.
0: I went yes. to I went to a theater, Zeke. A theater. To what? Been to watch to this of, we've been going to the theater a lot.
1: I know, I know, but you know, it's just it's becoming it's becoming more rare now. You know, JB Hi-Fi apparently. The Myrie store, they got rid of their DVD stock. No, they didn't. Yeah, I heard that. And I had to call my friend, Keish to confirm, who works at JB. It's like, she's like, oh, no, no, no. But the Myrie one, yeah, they did get rid of it. I was like, what? What? What's happening? So, home release, cinema going. This is all becoming a thing of the past, see. But Mm. I still have to go to the Fiatar to watch a little film from Mr. Darren Aronofsky, The Whale. Mr. Brendan Fraser himself. Anything but little. (laughs) <laughs> another, another story of scope. <laughs>
0: uh, look. So, the the Brendan Fraser renaissance. Yes. Is it alive and well?
1: It is very alive and well. He is brilliant in the film. He is very... Just so lovable. And just the, the story that he's involved in telling through his performance is very... It's very emotional. He's very great in it. I love him. And I actually think... I actually think the film is just great overall. I know it's very divisive. I'm going to get into the reasons why and why I think those sort of the reasonings don't hold up. There's actually a couple of films I saw this week that were controversial that I'm gonna I'm gonna fight back against both of them. But before I get into that, it's the whale is. I remember I turned to Andy who I saw it with, in addition to a couple of other people, and we both said like, "Wow, that was such a play movie." You know, it's all basically one location. There are characters coming in and coming out of his life and it just the way the dialogue's bouncing back and forth turns out it is based on a play uh by Mr. Samuel D Hunter so he wrote the adaptation and then Aronofsky only directed it which I was surprised I thought he had a hand in writing it as well um and I want to give him props as well because it is it's a great uh very um what's the word I'm looking for it's it's not the most digestible story obviously, for, the, for those who don't know, the story is about Brandon Fraser, he's incredibly obese and overweight in the film, and I think a lot of the film is about the characters in his life, he's got a carer, he's got his daughter, played by Sadie Sink uh, there's the other characters that sort of come in and out and I won't spoil who they are or their role in the story, but it feels like it's all about the multiple and unique ways that they'll go about helping him quote-unquote, helping him sometimes it can lean into selfish reasons, or or an enablement which is interesting as well and that kind of plays into the score of the 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 movie where the music will come in this very bassy trombone music that just kind of adds to the dread when you see him just downing a KFC bucket <laughs> when it's like how how do you help someone like this but then it's also about Brennan Fraser as Charlie who is very much denying help and we learn throughout the film why and and you know he's reasoning for those things but I just found it all really interesting and the relationship's really interesting. I thought Sadie Sink's character as Ellie, the 17-year-old daughter, is incredibly unlikable. Very, like, um, sharp performance. Just saying horrible things to him and just yeah. doing horrible things in general. And I and I love seeing that. I love seeing someone, you know, from Stranger Things, who's in lovable, is now doing, like, really awful things on screen. Well, I was going to
0: say, do you think she's going to be the breakout from Stranger Things? If there's one that's going to have... A but, residual yeah. impact over because I, I think guess it's, it's really shifted mm. because you know I think in the earlier seasons yeah you, it's easy to say oh I think Millie Bob- Bobby Brown's gonna yeah. be the one that kind of and Finn wolfhart yeah probably yeah had the biggest reach but Still I, do, I, I think Finn. after this, particularly the, the last two seasons mm. I, I would say Sadie Sink's been the one that really they start to I think has really drawn that attention yeah really yeah. sort of. Clearly, from a producer point of view, they they like something about that, and being in an Aronofsky film really kind of to me It's kind of like the art house sta- side. Yeah, of makes her that career. statement of where yeah. you know we, we could be looking at another Florence Pugh here.
1: Yeah, yeah, potentially. I mean, she's great in the film, and like I said, I love that her character is so like mm. uh, not. Uh, well, what's the word I'm trying? I'm, I feel like I should. I'm a I'm a podcaster, so no words.
0: Like no English, but like, like, like lacks any empathy
1: yeah and and ultimately that's what the film is about is ultimately empathy and the the whole film is wrapped around um, Charlie being an English teacher and him writing essays and helping Sadie Sink write essays and the whole film's like thesis if you will is this idea that people are incapable of not caring so the whole film is about empathy and seeing Sadie Sink start the film and a completely drastic opposite characteristic of being completely unempathetic it's hard to watch it's a tough watch from that standpoint but I like that because it's like She's, at this point in her career, willing to do that. She's not going to play yeah. it safe. Um, but, I, yeah, so I, I really loved all that stuff. I will quickly respond to this idea of fat phobia or fat shaming, which people have accused this film of being of. I just, I don't really get it because, for two reasons. Number one, the film doesn't portray any of this as comedic or funny. And, you know, we see Brendan Fraser throughout the film kind of struggle with you know, getting up off the couch and, and going to bed. It, it's like, it's a whole scene of him just going from one room to the other. There's a scene mm. of him showering, which is not very pleasant to look at. But it's it's all
0: played for real. It's not played for laughs. I, what I find baffling mm. about that is, A, have you ever seen an Aronofsky film? The man is obsessed <laughs> exactly. with addiction as a concept. Yeah. like Often his protagonists are just wrought with flaws Mm. in terms of addiction and personality and i don't think i've i mean to me it's baffling because even watching the trailer you can see it's coming from an angle of addiction yeah this is someone who is not overweight but obese Mm. and and morbidly obese to actually use the term correctly this person is quite like in the realm of dying, yeah. If they overexert themselves because they're so obese, yeah. And it's an addiction that's laced, and all addiction is laced in grief rationale, like everything, yeah. And and for me, it's just him telling the story of those who fit into that category. Yeah. This isn't, to me, it doesn't strike. It's not the TLC show, My Six Hundred Pound Life, <laughs> where it feels almost like car crash television to. Yep coin white noise again there you go We're bringing um, it back <laughs> <laughs> um, no seriously and it, it, it that to me just feels like someone's watched the trailer made a, a flash in the pan comment and the the internet has just erupted and not actually they've looked at the cover and yeah. not actually read like you said well, via the thesis
1: yeah exactly and i I think in terms of this being a story about a man whose body is deteriorating one way or another and people's uh, you know the way they react to in terms of how do I help this person and get them healthy again the, the film is just fundamentally different if you change that so I, I just don't understand that the other aspect is that because the character of Ellie says a lot of really horrible things to Charlie but the thing is the film establishes that she hates Charlie hates him before she even knows about his weight that is very clearly established in the dialogue they haven't seen each other in a long time and that he has put on a lot of this weight since they last saw each other. But the hate is pre-established. It was there from something he did way earlier in the film, which you learn about and you, and you learn about how that ties into the overall story. So I like all with the, all of these elements, I'm like, I don't really understand what... I don't understand what the... the I, I'm happy to learn more about it if mm. someone wants to explain it to me or if I do a bit more research. But from all of those aspects, or even just how did this become an addiction... In terms of, it's the typical, you know, he's eating his feelings sort of, it's response to grief. But it's
0: like, what? But the difference between that and consuming drugs or drinking is is no different. Exactly. It's another, it's just an outlet. It's a, you know, and like I said, this is a director that doesn't shy away from these kinds of stories. I mean, one of my favorite films of all time, The Wrestler, the main, Mickey Rourke and that, he's drinking and he's consuming (laughs) drugs. Like he's horror, like he's. He's got addictions. Yeah. He's got addictive problems, and I haven't seen Black Swan, but I don't. I'm sure there are some forms of um, body shaming in that for the, from the ballet point of view, mm, isn't there? A certain, yeah, yeah. Certain look, and so to me, this just seemed like yep, the next kind of logical Aronofsky <laughs> film. Yeah, and I,
1: I I really tried to like look at it from all those different aspects in terms of its portrayal him as a character he's a really sweet kind yet regretful character about the mistakes he's made in the past I just I don't see the angle where it's like oh mm. that makes sense to me I just I, I felt like I don't know I could be wrong Yeah, but that I I really went out of my way to look at it from that perspective and it just doesn't it doesn't bother me it really doesn't I, I actually think this is a great film been the year of uh, comebacks hasn't it yeah like Brendan,
0: Brendan Fraser
1: <laughs> coming back <laughs> I love it now I will say not to spoil this film at all so don't think about this too hard but the film is uh, I can't say it I can't say it I was going to compare the ending to another film it's a little too on the nose I know it's a, bit, it's a little spoilery it's fine but Zeke so watch two other films this week you've seen both these films a while ago oh, cool. so this, this, this could be more fun I watched finally three Identical Strangers the documentary wow and I haven't thought about that film in a <laughs> <laughs> That's Well, the... I had to rent it on YouTube. It's not on Netflix or anything anymore.
0: Yeah. I remember this now. Yeah.
1: Now, it's interesting because this was very recent, was brought up. They're doing a limited uh, dramatic series based on this, and Ben Stiller's going to play all three of the triplets. Something's very strange. They're, they're a bit larger but, than...
0: If yeah, I remember correctly, I, yeah. they, don't, they don't look like Ben Stiller.
1: No, not really. I they got a bit more of a jersey look to them, and yeah, yeah I yeah, I'm interested.
0: interested. I li- mean, they got a little bit more of a Kevin James look than <laughs> a than a Ben Stiller look. Oh. No, look, I, if if he does a great job, he does a great job. We, I mean,
1: hey, we, makeup is amazing these days. If yeah, that's sure. how he's going to well, go I mean, about that,
0: look at Brendan Fraser, yeah, for instance. Yeah. Well, there you go.
1: I mean, look, the men aren't that. Do you like heavy, it? To be fair, no, I I really really enjoyed it. There's, there's another controversy associated with this film, which I'm going to get into soon. Um, I don't think it's as well known as the okay, yeah. controversy show. It's just things I noticed in letterbox reviews that kept coming up. But, no, I really like this. For the people who don't know, there's a story of uh, triplets separated at birth who reunite in their late teens. This is like the, I think the early or the, and sorry, the uh, late 80s I believe is is when this all happened. They became like a national sensation on television. Yes. And the documentary goes forward to talk, uh, to ex- explore that, you know, the young fame, fame at 19, and their eventual entrepreneurship they all start a restaurant together and they make a million dollars in their first year it's all of that but what I love and I don't want to spoil it too much even though I feel like I mean I was spoiled everything because every time people would pitch me this documentary they would just tell me what happened they would just pitch the whole story which is mm. i get a little annoying but it, it, it's been out for nearly five years at this point um, the, the eventual realisation for why they were separated at birth and what the purpose was of that and it just makes you feel so guilty after watching the first 40 minutes which is like this fun, feel-good setup for these kids that you know, reunite and it's a feel-good story and it's great that they're back together. And it turns out it's a big setup for the, the much more eerie, creepy reality of why they were set up, which I just thought was phenomenal, especially how they literally do like a flashback montage of all the interviews and compare it to like the German mm. lady talking about the, the results of the experiment and things like that. I, I loved all that. I just thought it came together so
0: well, and really, yeah, I'm not gonna lie, I had eerie. to like read about it because that was. I think that was in my 365 challenge or something. Yeah, probably
1: way back. Yeah, I was like, what happened in this documentary again? <laughs> I was like,
0: yeah, it ended up being takes that that big turn, it has that tickled. It turn. is very
1: tickled esque. Yeah, I don't know if it goes as deep as tickled because once that's all out God, there, it tickled. just kind of reflects so on that. Um, but yeah, it ends up being. I because I thought it was more a thing about the classism mm. and that they grew up in different. Uh, types of families when it's really more just like a straightforward exploration of nature versus nurture and and I, I like docos like this that could actually really lean into this idea of nature over nurture which is very much the opposite of how I believe um, the world works so I'm always interested to see it sort of taken from a different perspective and to see how similar mm. they grew up to be despite being separated and growing up in different families uh, but then it just kind of Interweaves between those ideas and I just found that all really interesting now the controversy is in relation I saw this come up in a lot of people's letterbox reviews I was really surprised is in, uh, that it's quite manipulative just the, the way the story's told is like oh here's a twist and here's another twist which I feel like for this kind of story you might as well lean into because it is such a weird twisty why story why is that
0: exploitative
1: I re- like to, I guess, manipulate your feelings because it's like, wow, look at this twist. Whoa, this happens. But the other thing at the it's end is... Just, just a film, isn't it? Yeah, I I know. It's, 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 it's bizarre to me. Doesn't fire
0: do the exact same thing? <laughs> just, it's about a festival? Exactly. Like... It's like, but tell the story with, with that energy. It needs like, that energy. Imagine if you just told fire, like, traditionally. Like, this dude yeah. took a bunch of money and was facing laundering. <laughs> oh, and the festival didn't go well and it's like that's boring <laughs> you make it exciting <laughs> through the edit and the storytelling, the, the
1: interviews and how they yeah, it's, that that
0: really confused me, especially because like in, a, in a documentary uh, aspect, like, yeah. I kind of get a little bit sometimes in film, I can see the, oh this is the part where you're supposed to feel sad, if it's yeah. a little too like, fi- like poking you maybe, yeah. then I can kind of get the irritableness of that, if it thinks it's more emotional than what it is but if well that's one thing I will say about the way was
1: I wish there was slightly less soundtrack because yeah sometimes there were things that would just happen where it felt like the music was almost overdoing it this yeah. level of sadness into yeah, you meant to have in the scene so it's possible you can do that
0: yeah but if it's just a good story that has twists exactly then...
1: I mean if you're 19 years old and you go to a university campus and you suddenly realise you have two twins or you're part of a triplet they all look exactly like you is that not like a shocking, surprising revelation that yeah, you would want you, reflected in the documentary? I mean, if
0: you take the second half, you find out that that was all for some experiment <laughs> to go in some paper. It's then...
1: yeah. It's like well that that's how they would have felt. It's authentic to the the feelings and the emotions the yeah. subjects went through. Yeah, and the, on the, top of that, yeah. the further controversy is to do with and I won't say I won't get into too much detail, but there is a suicide that is discussed in this film. And the way it sort of edits together multiple um, reflections and the subjects, especially the dad of the person who passed away and how he essentially blames himself, and then it immediately cuts to another another person talking about how they, they felt like they're still here because of the way their parents raised them. And it was just like this really negative messaging on suicide, to which I say, but that's what the subjects felt. Like, yeah, yeah it's not the most gentle way to talk about that subject, but like like those whiplash feelings in the edit were authentic to the subjects of the documentary aren't also the things they're saying and reflecting on deaf? yeah
0: unless you I'm and singular. unless there is there is actual footage that suggests the director is planting information in there like "oh, yeah. say this thing or say that thing then what we're given is what they're saying authentically yeah this is not a corporate video. This is a documentary. <laughs> exactly. Characters say what they character, And the best you can do as a documentarian interviewing someone is manoeuvre them to say something that you think you kind of want to yeah. get out of them or information you might want to extort. But you, you can't derive pure thought without it being like super contrived, is it, or artificial. Yeah. And,
1: I, I just appreciate that th- these were the things that people said and instead of skirting away from that because it might offend people or yeah. it might be a, a more like um, a more dangerous approach to talking about a very taboo subject, mm. I'm glad that they just went ahead and did that because yeah. it's more interesting. It's not a fluff piece. So anyway, I I, I was baffled by a lot of those those controversial yeah. remarks people made, um, but I thought the documentary was was really great. Yeah, um, yeah. It even like even just for me, like I didn't I don't have identical triplets <laughs> that I discovered Not recently that I know of no exactly I mean maybe one day you never know but yeah. on the flip side it's like I still related to a lot of the, what the character said especially the whole looking back into your own childhood and like things just making more sense because I had that as well with my autism diagnosis and like once understanding that diagnosis looking back and like oh that's like that's why this person would come and visit me on this thing And and it's like I actually found a lot of that almost one to one with the experiences that the triplets were talking about with the the people noting down the experiment so so it was not that I was experimented on necessarily but this idea of like looking back to your childhood after after Mm. learning something and things just kind of clicking into place yes and I love that the documentary portrayed that really because I I identify with that very very well the last thing I'll talk about and I won't go into it too much I finally watched Seek for the first time 10 things I hate about you
0: Mm. (laughs) you can't even think of 10 about me (laughs) Um, there is zero things I hate about you, Zeke. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's it, a good film.
1: It's great. It's a fun it's film. It's so fun. It's
0: weird seeing a young, like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt just sort of <laughs>
1: existing. Pete Ledger, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, th- those were breakout roles for, like, that entire cast as
0: well. Yeah. It's a good film. It's like one of those films you watch. I mean, like, it was... Everyone loved it. Mm. I think it's a solid high school film. I think yeah. I prefer Mean Girls.
1: Well that that's what I was thinking cuz it fits in that echelon of like mean girls and and like bend it like Beckham and like these teen love stories with like little twists here and there. Um I think mean, the twist for this being that like the overly sexual characters the way they talk is quite gross but then the teacher the dichotomy between the teachers like you got one of them is writing up like a like a uh, <laughs> like an erotic novel while talking to students and they're like suggesting like waste or type up sentences to each other so there's like that weird dichotomy there and I think that's what makes this interesting but it's also the whole Shakespeare mm. um, comparison where they, they're doing all these Shakespeare lines and I, I've never seen the, the play or the, the book The Taming of the Shrew so I, I didn't immediately connect those two this is basically just a retelling of that um, so I guess that's what makes this more unique but the other thing I thought it came out in the same year as Mean Girls I thought this was like 2003, 2004 no. this is in 1999 Yeah. and I was like I did not feel that watching this film it felt no. newer
0: it felt ahead of its time. time. It's, yeah. yeah. It is, it's, it's pretty great. I only watched it a year or two ago. It was pretty okay Oh, okay. So yeah. What,
1: yeah, you didn't like grow up with it or anything? no, nah. no. Nah.
0: Nah. <laughs> Same thing with Mean Girls. Didn't watch them until I was an adult.
1: Yeah, I think I watched uh, Mean Girls and Titanic both during COVID. Huh. I mean, mm. that, that's when I caught both those films for the first time. still
0: think but... I prefer Mean Girls.
1: I yeah, mean... mean Girls is quite quite fun. I, I mean, this does it right balance, and I think partly because it has Gil Jugger, who's the first-time director... Um, which I think do really well. There's a lot of really inter- uh, inventive camera angles and movements yeah. in the. There's the one where, obviously, Heath Ledger burns the hole in the book. Yeah. And then we start the shot looking through the hole into, I think it's Michael. And then, like, the just the blocking in that shot I alone is I, really clever. I think
0: one of the good things about 10 Things I Hate About You is how they actually really do utilise the uh, high school setting. So yeah. So, if you look at the Heath Ledger, like, him coming down singing... The Frank Sinatra. Yeah,
1: that's a huge oval, man. <laughs>
0: like, but it's such oval. a great sequence. I'm sitting there going, like, wow, they're really using... The, the high school really does feel like a microcosm. Right. Like, so many high school pictures don't actually... The high school almost feels like a prison. Yeah. And like, or, or it's just... It's a backdrop. Whereas, I think This is, least, like,
1: more, like, medieval. It's like a giant castle, yeah, basically.
0: It feels like a character in itself. Mm. Because characters use the space a little bit more yeah Um, and I I just find that really quite inventive from a like a direction point of view choosing that that location
1: yeah well I I watched the behind the scenes because the blu-ray we had and the main reason me and Kirstie actually sat down to watch is because there's a madness on in there the oh. um, uh, Wings of a Dove. I thought it was so, just
0: like an easy go-to date night movie.
1: Oh no, we actively said that like, we need to one day to sit and watch this film and then point out when Madness comes on, which is close to the end. I was surprised how they used yeah. the song. Um, it, very great how they use it and all the music in the film as well. But you have that asset where you have the director, first time feature director who's you know going out of his way to go to this location. They had to fly to an entirely different state just because they wanted to shoot at that specific school. Mm. Um, which I don't think it was a school. I think it was... Um oh god what was it it wasn't a school it was, it was something university? else not even i don't think it was an educational building i think it was like a like a like a library or a, yeah. something like that and they turned it into a school um so like you said going to that extra mile to get something that has its own iconography so i mean the ending of the film is all the characters on the rooftops playing the band and then mm. um i think it's michael making out with, with what's her name um, the Shakespeare lover, that that whole thing, but then you have that male director, but then you also have two women who wrote the film as well, and they they went on to do other things like Legally Blonde, and she's the man, and so they had a pretty pro- prolific career after that as well. Women empowerment films. Women well, empowerment films. There well, you women go. empowerment comedies. They did end up doing the House Bunny and the Ugly True so they kind of <laughs> I mean they lost their stride after a while, yeah. but I I think it really helped to have you know two women writers and then the male director come in to sort of. Almost even out the audience because I, I feel like this is a film that that really the whole family can enjoy from that from that. I know it's a, <laughs> look at me go with a promotional I like that and I, I wish I had watched this before we did Skin and Blister because the sisterly dynamic between the two girls spot on Ringer. great stuff they even got they even got the sharing of the jewelry <laughs> well I think he,
0: I think you did it well ah oh, thank you in Skin and Blister
1: thank you I'm glad but Zeke yeah what have you watched in the last week
0: well I've caught the film of the week. Oh, and good. another film. <laughs> or oh, two. Um, well, I know I teased film. you there, I've made it out like I only saw the film of the week. Yeah, no, I actually cheeky. managed to get one more film in. Jake. Yes. I do like a bit of Nick Cage sometimes. Oh, I know what you watched. I watched oh, the yes. unbearable weight yes. of massive talent. So what, what it'll be it? a Pedro doubleheader this week. Yeah, it was. Um, with The Last of Us as well. Wow, that film <laughs> 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 such a it's such a to say it's such a Nick Cage film is just... It's so... It about saying. <laughs> I know. it's, And the weirdest thing, is you can't say that. You'd almost be banned from saying it's such a Nick Cage film mm. because it is about Nick Cage. Yeah. Um, it's fun. It's just a fun... It's kind of one of those films I love when one of these films comes out, which is such a, a senseless comedy... It does have some kind of cool meta-narrative stuff going on. Like, yeah. I feel like we, we're getting a bit of fear and loathing in there. And I haven't seen all mm. the fear and loathing, but the segments I have seen, I'm like, oh, I kind of get it. Yeah. Like, it's that weird sort of, like, trippiness. I mean, there's a whole scene where literally Pedro, and who's not playing Pedro Pascal, he's playing a uh, Spanish... Uh, <laughs> Evil mafia dude. Yeah, um, he's a movie who's, lover who's, who's got an <laughs> obsession with Nick Cage. And that 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 scene, not to spoil it, but yeah. the characters end up in a room that's just a shrine to Nick Cage. Is yeah. one of the funniest <laughs> things. I've heard. The the animatronic, not animatronic. They're like, um, what do they call them? Wax doll. Oh yeah, Nick the, the Cage, wax dolls. Yeah, um, from Madden, like the Madden Tucson, but it's like a knockoff job. Was <laughs> just so funny the way he's like forehead. Yeah. I, I don't know what to say about it. It's like, I feel like it really shows off how much of a goofball Pedro. Like the range of Pedro is just insane. To yeah. me. like yeah,
1: because he goes full goofball in this film,
0: and it. To, but to me it's like this is a man that up until what and it, I, f- I find it crazy that um you know speaking of last of us the fact that um who's who's the female lead oh bella ramsey bella ramsey the fact that they were both on game of thrones i didn't realize that yeah they are um yeah. they don't HBO have a re- scene together yeah reunited but um the fact that you know he basically came on the map like oh, like on the, the the map in season 4 of game of thrones which is like 2013 2014 mm. I just think he's had Humdinger for six, seven years, hasn't he? He's the Mandalorian. (laughs) He's he's now Joel in Last of Us. Like everyone's like, man, what can't this guy do? And it's like, yeah, he can play the biggest goofball villain, like a Get Smart esque villain, like. (laughs) <laughs> who's just so comical and and like the scenes where like they're tripping and they try and lift each other over the wall and the have oh, yeah, just gone yeah, around yeah. and you just it's so absurd but like brilliant.
1: Yeah, it's it's so silly. It's so like innocent and enjoyable. It is the perfect I remember mean, when I saw it with Blake ages ago he we both said that it's like it's the perfect it's the perfect like film to explain free act structure in. Like this would yeah. be perfect for you to, to talk to your students about here's free act structure because it is so meta and so clear. Uh, but it's just also, like, a lot of fun. And, they, you know, they're yeah. having fun with the performances, and Nick Cage is fun in it. It's, and
0: it is. Yeah. And it's, like, one of those films where it's, like, I think for him, he's, f- like, really come to... There's an, almost an essence of that meta-narrative going on that he's found, like, in a piece and just doing the stupid things now. Right, right. As an actor, because this is an actor, you know, he's an Oscar-winning actor. He's had, mm. like, these, you know... And for me, I'm sorry, I've seen Leaving Las Vegas. I don't get it. I don't get that film that he won an Oscar for <laughs> I think he's just as absurd in that film as he is in any other film sure um I mean, he's, his career has ebbed and flowed in all sorts of ways just, but then it's like I'll watch a National Treasure film and I love National Treasure so yeah. I'm like I mean it, come, it always comes back to that episode of Community when Arbed's trying to work out if he's a good or a bad actor <laughs> and he just breaks as a yeah. person but yeah. it, this film I think epitome is the epitome of the Nick Cage-ness Yeah. Of, of stuff and it's just a it really is a fun hundred minutes you enjoy it like. I,
1: li- I like the idea of yeah, your brain just cracking at the thought of is Nick Cage a good actor but I, w- I will say him in uh, Kick-Ass he is unironically great in Kick-Ass yeah. he's so good in that
0: film I don't There's care what look, anyone says. I mean even like his voice acting in um when he's Neo-Spider-Man like the noir yeah, Spider-Man yeah. <laughs> he's just
1: they're they're doing that they're doing a neo spider-man live action they should i heard that they're doing that i don't know if he's in it it, it's kind
0: of like it's the same with pedro i think it's like but i think pedro is authentically like a brilliant actor but is also you know i don't think he ever wants to take anything super super seriously sure like i don't think he he, he's one of those actors that strikes me as he always wants to be known as a good actor but he never strikes me as an oscar-winning actor you know like sure you know, we're going to talk about that star power in the second half of the show, mm-hmm. that real, like... Yeah. You know, you're in the Oscar. And I know anyone can win an Oscar, but there are people that we just put in that category. Sure, yeah. And Pedro doesn't sit in that category for me. That doesn't mean he's not a good actor. Mm-hmm. I just think he hasn't been in that film yet, or if he'll ever be in that film.
1: Yeah. Well, um, you, know, you know what will be interesting? How yeah. The Last of Us does in the Emmy conversation. Yeah. That's going to be... Fascinating, but
0: he could be in the same. He could just be like a Cranston, you know. Like he could be like someone mm. who goes and has, wins a bunch of Emmys. We all think he's an authentically good actor. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, I guess Cranston had Trumbo. I mean, this there, there yeah,
1: were yeah. That was just an odd one, and not a great year for him to have to have been up because obviously he lost to Leo that year of all people. Yeah, um, yeah but I, I just it's interesting with Bryan Cranston because I don't his career. I mean it it, o- it obviously you... peaks with Breaking yeah. Bad yeah. and he's done some good stuff since but it's just like I like he's never had that great 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 role that you expect him to have in a film after doing the show but it's
0: part of luck too like it's that yeah. it's that mix i mean you've got to be the right person for the role and only yeah. there are only a few people that almost can just meld into anything mm. like i think that there's such a there are like brilliant actors, and then there are the actors that literally are like Ditto the Pokemon that just meld into something. Like, I don't know. <laughs> what a like, comparison. I, I don't know. Just like, they're, they're, they're like, I mean, a great example in this yeah. generation coming through, I think Timothy Chalamet sits in that that conversation so yeah, someone who can just yeah. meld into anything this is mm-hmm. the guy who's going to be Wonka and let's be real he's probably gonna he's be probably really, going to be really good as Wonka <laughs> he's yeah. going to be pretty good as Wonka I reckon it turns out wacky they let him be I think yeah. Florence Pugh I'd put Florence Pugh in that That.
1: oh yeah she kind of I mean she just had like a really incredible year with yeah. like Little Women Fighting My Family Midsommar like just all coming even out don't succession. worry darling
0: is in this last stretch has been really like she's probably yeah. one of the best parts of a uh, Average film. <laughs> no, but for sure. I mean,
1: i still going to watch The Wonder because I hear it's really good.
0: She's so, really great in The Wonder. I think it's good to know. But yes, the unbearable weight of massive talent is mm. a lot of fun.
1: Excellent. No, I'm glad you caught that one. Yeah. That's a fun one. Ep 5 of Last of Us. Mm. So yeah, you, I, <laughs> I got I to gotta say because we talked about this before the show and I, I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. It might be my fa- new favourite episode. Mm-hmm. It kind of has everything in it as well as incredibly depressing ending. <laughs> but yeah, do, do, when you what do you feel about it?
0: Look, I I thought it was good. I think there are moments you said, like for and it's great cuz we got one guy who knows of Last of Us but has never played the game, sure. so I'm really just judging this off like we're in this this part of the story where I don't really know what happens. Yes. Um It definitely feels like it's funny because between this and Poker Face, I'm watching basically two road trip uh, (laughs) genre series at the same time. One's obviously taking the crime comedy route and the other one's taking the dystopian post-apocalyptic check if you're happy um, (laughs) um, route. But um, both seem to be doing this road trip where they meet a collection of characters that almost stay within one episode. Obviously, four mm. and five are joined together for this this particular situation last yeah and,
1: and same director Jeremy Webb, I believe, which yeah. makes
0: a lot of sense when I think about it um and it's interesting because it's it's the i I quite liked both episodes like don't get me wrong, they're not bad episodes or anything like that mm. from a from a television point of view. It's interesting, I think the last sequence, the final half of episode five. Mm literally does feel like a video game in almost every facet. Interesting, like a mix of cutscenes and gaming stuff from <laughs> scope cam to um, sort of the cutting of, of, of almost like cutscenes when certain things are introduced. Right. In almost a video game introduction, like they emerge out and you almost want to play the score under <laughs> it like here's the next boss guy that you have to worry about. Um, yeah. well, I, I, I don't find I, that quite like, but I still think it's great because it obviously, it feels like there's that real respect for the source material there. Yes. That video game direction is there and it's deliberate and it's intended but now it's trying to add that element of, of that act, actors bringing char- you know, gaming characters to life mm. element and yeah, look, the ending is is an absolute downer I'm not gonna lie, (laughs) you're like, oh, like we have to wait till next Sunday, don't we? Now,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. It's gonna be a week. So you have to you
0: have to mull over it for another extra two days. It actually is
1: not a bad place considering like where you are in the game. I think it's technically two thirds, but it very much feels like the midpoint of the game. At the end of episode five, what happens and it, and of course in the game it just like cuts to black. Oh my god, that was so shocking. And then story just continues. Yeah, and you kind of have to very quickly be like all right, all right, moving forward, moving forward. And at least with the show, you get a little extra scene at the very end of the episode that sort of gives us a bit more finality. Yeah, true. In the game, it's just gunshot next season. <laughs> Here, it's like, okay, we've got a bit of a week to, to calm down at least. Um, so I think it's a good spot to end it. But in terms of the gameplay aspect of it, I was more interested in just... See, it's very accurate uh, in terms of narratively to how the gameplay is. Well, I, I will say that the whole... Um, the the hunter group that took down Fedra and like Kathleen and like the right hand man they those are all new characters they basically have just added personalities to this generic hunter group that originally didn't they were no, just I think that's guys like no it that. makes sense because it's a bit more personable and the whole like how like her family interacts with Henry and Sam and how they're all interconnected they've added that all in there which feels a bit nicer and neater it also but, feels like hmm. there's
0: a I mean, it comes back to, though you really address it, you say, in the second game, or what will be the second season of this show, I'm sure. guessing. yeah. Um, They're definitely adding more of those humanity elements in there. Stuff mm. that, you know, I've had a couple of people be like, oh, it feels a little bit Walking Dead-esque sometimes, because you've got all these characters sort of in this horrible... But it's like, well, yeah, that's to me, that's just the dystopian genre. Like, yeah. we're essentially... We're essentially just watching two characters on a, on a road trip around a, a dystopian world. I mean, the characters are really important. Like The fact that Kath, Kathleen isn't important to give them identity because mm. we need to feel like every death has weight in this right. show to an extent. Like when Joel, not to spoil the episode, but it's like Joel has to kill someone yeah, and is actually now starting to really almost gain that humour. Because it comes back, it's about Joel's regaining of humanity yes. and learning to to love again I guess. Mm. And it's like he's gone from he, you know, beating someone's face in in the first episode <laughs> mercilessly to and willing to kill Ellie when yep. he, when he finds out like what Ellie is and to now showing a bit of resentment towards not like or feeling just absolutely overwhelmed and not wanting to kill anyone. Mm-hmm. If he can avoid it. And that's an interesting moment that happens in that episode where it's like it's actually a really good arc that's happening there. Yeah. And it really is... It really goes to show how at least this first season... I know that does shift, but this first mm-hmm. season really is about Joel. Um,
2: oh, yeah, some sense Well, like, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's
1: certainly... I, I'm really curious because I know within the next couple of episodes it's going to become so clear how, like, it, it turns into a two-hander and, like, just how monumentally important Ellie becomes to the story. But it is Joel's story, and Joel does have the main arc that I am really so excited for you to get to the end of the season and, and figure out how it all plays out. But in, in terms of comparing it to The Walking Dead, the the key difference is the Walking Dead just adds people and adds people and adds mm. people to its cast. And when you when they split up, it's like we have to follow all these, you know, fifty stories and it just bogs down the overall yeah. right with The Last of Us There's not one or two episodes that go by where the characters you were introduced to are gone.
0: It's a different one, too, because (laughs) I... I, I Look, I think that's a very fair point with, like, later Walking Dead, but Mm. let's judge Walking Dead Season 1 versus Last of Us Season 1. So, and in that case, we're watching, essentially, an ensemble cast. Yeah. um, And even Season 2, an ensemble cast. So, it's still bigger. Mm. It's got about 10, 12 characters moving through... uh, this apocalypse and it's really effective I think in those Frank Darabont seasons mm. because but you you know because you're able to move between all the characters and essentially you're especially the first season it's mostly through Rick's perspective sure I still think Last of Us is doing it more like because it's obviously got two characters we get really good development of those two characters yeah which we'll see why we don't need eight or nine seasons to get everything across <laughs> I mean, Walking Dead. I we were talk, I was talking about it today with you know, teachers in my department. Oh, okay. shout out to the teachers in my Te- department. Shout out to the teachers of the department. Um, <laughs> the di- digital. Talking technology. about the
1: talking about the Walking Dead. No, we're classes. comparing the two because it was okay. Like, and
0: I and my thing was I said, well, Walking Dead shot itself in the foot when in the first season it went there is no cure, like, right? And I got it because it made a really good shock value at the end of season two,
2: mm. but
0: then. And I do think that they actually managed to keep it interesting enough to when Eugene and all that join and go. No, there is a cure. Yep. That guy was just wrong, and you buy into it. But then you find out it's wrong. Like it flips it a second time. Goes, no, there is no cure. You are like, yeah. Well, what are we building towards here? Like there is no. Yeah, the, you are trying the to make out dead that has no overarching plot, and that's the problem. Because it's ridiculous. It, it, when they get introduced, you go right. They're all now road tripping yep. to go get the cure, and I and in my head I go. that's at least two three more seasons that'll get you to about season six and that'll be enough of the show yeah but god knows what's happened in in past season seven it really turned into settlement (laughs) people die settlement gets ruined that like like whereas this is cool because what I love about last it's way more focused yeah and and, and to be honest uh, settlements are far more few and far between and action is few and far between Mm. like big epicentres cities is where everything happens but there's are really good fifteen minute sections where it's just Joe and Ellie just driving around and you yeah. and you go, oh well there is like a lot of nothing like between all of these worlds like and and the, the conversation that out in the woods, oh we don't have to worry about the infected we have to worry about other people, mm. and it and it, I think it's really cool like the the way that the the action isn't you know it doesn't turn into, it's comical in The Walking Dead like them all headshotting by the end of. <laughs> <laughs> Season four, oh, there's a thousand of them, and they're moving really slow. But everyone's got the ability to headshot. Whereas in this, it's like Joel's a seasoned veteran, and he's still missing, still struggling. Yeah, it's a, like it's way more realistic. And it's a, yeah, there's a
1: line I think in episode in this most recent episode in particular where the character shocked that they they were able to kill two clickers. Yeah, and it's like they're establishing like how incredibly hard
0: it is to kill any of these things. Yeah. So good luck with uh. That new that new guy <laughs> no, it's a good episode. I don't know. It's like one of those things where it's a really solid show. I think for me, like I said, I'm still waiting for that shooter drop moment where I'll be able to look back on the season and go that was just a really well paced story
1: yeah i I generally think and I said this what a week or two ago to you that i'm I'm waiting for that that point in the story when you know the 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 um God, what do we call it in succession.
0: Yeah, vote of no confidence. Voted like, no confidence. That moment
1: where it's like the show just completely turns. You're yeah. like, I'm, I'm in. Yeah. And the I Ned think, Stark I think getting
0: his head cut off in <laughs> Game of Thrones. I mean, end
1: of episode five for Last of Us was like, okay, it's coming, it's happening. Yeah. Like this was just such a great recreation of how it plays in the game. It's still very emotionally resonant, and I'm just like, each episode, I'm more forward propelled to yeah. want to watch the rest of the season. I think the, I'm one excited the,
0: for it. the one of the biggest the big differences, or at least not one of the big differences, but and it it works really well in the early seasons of Walking Dead is that conversation of humanity, mm. um, and it, because it's an ensemble, all the voices where there obviously it's also different. The apocalypse hasn't been going in the Walking Dead for as long at that point. It's sure. only been around for yeah, was it a month or two or something? Like it's not big at that point whereas this is 20 years after this started so mm. we're in two different dystopian worlds yeah too and i think that's really important we're more close to a fallout world <laughs> Um where characters are just enduring and surviving yeah and i think it's really interesting because the conversation isn't oh are these still humans anymore it's just no they're just the enemy and now it's, the humanity is what- what it this story simply is is it's Joe and Ellie moving through the world and discovering well Joe in particular discovering there are pockets of humanity like it's mm. really important the the Bill and Frank episode because of what happens to those characters yeah and what that story represents and you know in this this latest episode with henry and and sam and sam um you know that's really important too, and you know it uh continues that uh also continues that trajectory of uh the what is it what were we talking about the cinema of the, the disability cinema having a yeah a, yeah yeah a, is that um, in the story
1: is that uh him being deaf is brand new he was not deaf in the game so i reckon but it it adds a lot because like now's an interesting dynamic of how does someone who can't hear survive in this world
0: yeah um Good and, choice, and, I think. And, yeah, no, it was, it was great. And does continue the trend I was talking about. <laughs> 100%, I reckon, like, addressing having... But, yeah, it does make the plot a little bit more well-rounded, too. It adds a different dynamic. Yeah.
1: Well, I listen, I listen to the HBO Last of Us podcast. So I listen out that on Spotify, and it's the same as the Better Call Saul Insider podcast. It's just uh, Craig Mason and, and Neil Druckmann just talking about the, the decisions they made, story-wise. And that was the thing is, like, we want them to, we want Henry and Sam to have a different mode of communication to Joel and Ellie so they don't seem too similar. And that's literally where it arises from. It's like, okay, well, if Sam is deaf, then they have a whole new mode of communication that Joel and Ellie can't relate to. So it's just like that, you know, ground level rethinking of the story and the characters um, that sometimes does lead to just them having the same arc and the same ending. But I appreciate that going from the ground up, they come up with new ideas that. Maybe if they thought of it ten years ago, it could have improved the media. But here we are now. Mm. So it's. I'm getting it's why awesome. it was called
0: the Last of Us now too, because <laughs> there's
1: not a lot of them left. So. <laughs> yeah, but I get, I get the, But
0: I actually think what a brilliant title. Oh, it's an excellent title because when you think about it, you're like, I get it because the us refers to like all the good people. Um, <laughs> but it's clever. I just who I, are
1: it, the Last it, of Us? What What is the Last of Us in terms of what what humanity is left in us? Yeah. No, it's a great it's an excellent title. Yeah.
0: Good series. Looking forward to the next episode. Bit annoyed it has to wait till Sunday, but here we are. Ah, oh, that's okay. That's probably I'm, a good I thing. If love... I'm annoyed I have to wait longer.
1: I love that we're doing episodic. Thank yeah, you. HP too.
0: Thank you for this. Zeke, do
1: you have any career updates?
0: Uh yeah, I'm teaching. <laughs> <laughs> still still teaching. <laughs> still te- I'm still employed. Last good, object. excellent. After the last week. Um, that's yeah, good. I don't know. It's everyone's everything's in full swing now. School's great. Um, I love my job. Oh, yeah, it's pretty great. I think it's like one of those things where I actually don't think I've ever felt this awake ever. My body clock is now crazy. I get up at like Mm. on the weekend, for instance, I got up at like seven in the morning. Oh, my, it's like that's a sleep in for me. And I just, and between me and Lou, or Lou and I, sorry, um i got to make sure <laughs> he's, a te- he's a teacher te- now te- he's because um, obviously Lou being in school too yes. we're both like we can on Saturday because celebrate Valentine's Day oh yeah happy Valentine's Day happy Valentine's Day, Day Yeah, um, obviously we did that on Saturday good time on to the do Saturday. this film. yeah exactly yeah it was a great time actually um, obviously did that on Saturday because it's like we can't see each other during the week so mm. yeah it's, it's great I mean it's like one of those things you're in that sort of immersive creative environment i get very excited about you know we're doing all of the theory stuff now which makes me always really excited already to get into the film stuff so yep. in like yep. the making um i'm showing you some of uh, some of our colleagues work in my school mm. um so shout out to blake and a friend of the show steven <laughs> i used your film if you listen to this episode i used raven there you go um the kids loved it
1: and my BTS
0: don't forget and that. and and Jake's <laughs> BTS, um, and obviously excellent. showed them little like shots of being on set yes. on uh, Skin and Blister. So oh, excellent. But speaking of Skin and Blister, Jake, mm. any career updates? Yeah, we're
1: pushing through. We uh, obviously we got about another day and a half, or I should say, night and a half of shooting. I hope you're doing early next month and we f- think we found our location. Very spicy. So very, very excited about that. I got I got an email this morning, so it's it's in the works. It's all happening. So hopefully that's approved in the next day or two and we can get right to mm. prep. I also did create an IMDB page for I'm not a nurse, which is the Screen West film I worked on last January. So uh, there cool. you go. It's on. It's on the IMDb's. It's a, it's yeah. a service I now provide. Apparently, Zeke. Yeah, no, I'll create your IMDb
0: page <laughs> for you. <laughs> it's your BTS and your IMDb. I'm here for it. I know.
1: I mean, hey, they all sort of move towards the film archival yeah. idea, which I'm, obvi- I'm obviously huge on film archival and whatnot. I might yeah. be working at like Criterion one day. You never know. Gotta
0: gotta protect the films. Uh, It's very exciting. Hopefully we'll have more to bring to that. But before we talk more about that, Mm. or whenever we talk about that next in the future. (laughs) In the future. (laughs) It's time for us to move into the film of the week, but Jake What are we watching?
1: This week in the show, Zeke, watching James Cameron's Didannic
2: ship of dreams and it was it really was alright open your eyes we go full ahead
0: put your backs into it got everything I need right here with me I figure life's a gift and I don't intend on wasting it you never know what hand you're going to get dealt next. you learn to take life as it comes at you.
2: When the ship docks, I'm getting off with you.
0: bucatia tells the story of her life aboard the titanic 84 years later a young rose boards the ship with her mother and her fiance meanwhile jack dawson and fabrizio de rossi win third class tickets aboard the ship rose tells the whole story from the titanic's departure through to its death on the first and last voyage on april 15th 1912 it says 84 years later it's weird. It's so weird, that lock line on letterbox. I'm not going to lie. Someone needs to change that. You should do it, Zeke. Okay. You should change it. Anyway, it's a lady. She tells the story of the Titanic. That's pretty much it. You
1: That's like those guys that were upset that three identical strangers had, like, stylistic storytelling and exciting editing. Yeah. You just say it as boringly as possible. Yeah. Just... Nothing it. can seem like a twist A hundred year old lady
0: tells the story about a lost love on the Titanic as a survivor of the Titanic Mm. to a crew willing to, wanting to excavate, I don't know, something like that. Anyway, Titanic, 1997.
1: Yeah, I mean, we spent a lot of time on the log line. I think people know what the film is. (laughs) It's
0: Titanic. (laughs) It's like, I know there are multiple Titanic films, but it's like the one you're going to know. No one knows any other Titanic films.
1: It's, I mean, it's the one that made all the money. It's the one that has all the stars. Yeah, it's the one that is actually really, really, really incredibly well made. Because I understand that was a thing. I think there's, there's a not a speculation, but like this this attachment to Titanic, especially for like young teen boys. They're like, I don't
0: want, want Titanic. It's a it's a stupid love story. So the Notebook. Yeah. It's the Notebook effect. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that sort of. It's not a very masculine film. As a young teenage boy, it's not a film that gravitates toward you. This is the... I mean, this is the guy that made Aliens, mm. who then goes and makes a hoity-toity love story.
1: But it's and you did Terminated I, too, as well, I mean, between those. I'll, I'll,
0: I'll, I'll straight say it. I wanted to hate this film. You I wanted went,
1: to hate this film? I
0: think part of me... I think it's because my... I'm not a big fan of... of of James, or at least sure. modern day James Cameron, in, in the sense that...
1: it's a very egotistical man. There's no denying it.
0: Yeah, and I obviously... always try and, like, We always try and separate art from artist, but it's like... It's the, it's my same opinion of, of Ridley Scott, where it's like I can watch Alien and go, that's a great film. That's an amazing film. Mm. Gladiator, an amazing film. But it's like, then, you know, you kind of come to modern day, and, you know they think they're God's gift and then they're making films like Prometheus or Alien Covenant and you're like, aren't oh, you that good? You've had some good films. Um, and I know it's very hard to make a really good movie and not every movie you're going to make is going to be really good. But I think something about this film, its grand scope, the fact that this guy has become is the guy that gets a lot of money for films and then somehow makes a boatload and you sort of most of the time are sitting there and going... How did that happen? Like, how did Avatar, Way of Water make as much money as it did when it feels like no one goes to cinemas anymore? And It is
1: bizarre. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I, I want to point to, like, international market, you know, like, it must have made a lot in China sort of hand-pointing, but it's like, this guy has made three films consecutively that have all made $2 billion each. And especially this one. I, I mean, both Avatar and Way of Water are both fine films with a lot of great technological advancements, but they're fine films at best. And Titanic is just is phenomenal. It's phenomenally made. It's a great love story. It in terms of its historical value to the actual sinking of the Titanic is very great. Very valuable. I think it's only like recently that I think like it actually the boat apparently snapped in three parts, not two. Like little things like that have come out since the creation of this film, but in terms of his historical accuracy, the love story, the direction, the scope and the action,
0: it's all there. It's a yeah. phenomenally
1: made film. And and it spoke to people. We made $2 billion. Yeah,
0: and I, I think it's one of those things. I mean, this film's set in 1999. Obviously, comes out in 97, but it's mm-hmm. told 84 years later. So, it's set at the turn of the century in 1999. Yeah. And I think what's really interesting is, you know, you can say, oh, well, it was split into three. But it's like what they knew at the time... I mean, Cameron went for the most authentic retelling of yes. of Titanic to the point where the film is three hours and 20 minutes long. It's a long... It's an epic film. Yeah. You know, and you're 100% right. You hit the nail on the head when it's like, this is Gone with the Wind, right? Mm. Um, But, in, you know, 60 years on. And it 100% is because though it's not the tale of the Great South and it's said over many things... In fact, I'm I think it's 10 times better than Gone with the Wind. Sure. Um in terms of its storytelling. It's it's simple. It doesn't it really doesn't try to um, overcomplicate things, make themes too overt or or make you think too much. It mm. honestly No, is, it's a very focused film. It's a focused film. It's a love story. It's a love triangle and it wants you to get to know everyone on this ship mm. because a lot of them don't make it out. Yeah. And I think it really didn't sink in Uh, I have to... I'm going to jump ahead. Sure. For me, the film was good. And I was kind of sitting... This is like a three-star film. I think this is really good. Mm -hmm. Until one shot. The last shot. Came
1: through.
0: And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Wow, okay. All of the the tragedy that had happened in the second half of the film. Because I watched it on DVD. Which we'll talk about that that whole... Very hard to find this film. How the... What the... Third highest grossing. Well, this I think it's now, now fourth because I
1: think fourth? Avatar: Way Water just
0: beat it. Oh no no sorry sorry no this is still or? number two. Is it still number two? I think it's still number two. Wild. I know it's the longest running in cinemas.
1: Yeah yeah yeah. They've done a ton of re-releases. There's a re-release happening right now. But it's now. also the longest
0: consistently in cinema. I think it was like it had the longest oh like in the, cinema it's, from initial run. Yeah, I think it went nearly two years. Yeah. Wow. I mean that um, makes
1: sense. Let me just quickly confirm this. Uh, it is number oh not by year. You, you, oh, it's number four right now. Oh no, it was Titanic that way of water just beat. Wow, okay, so it literally was just bumped to number four in the last like week.
0: Oh, there you go. Okay, but to hold, that's it, incredible. I mean for Christ's sake, it's three nine, of the it's top four years. films it's, it's three of them it's 20 years it's 20 years older than everything else. on that, Or well, 12 years older than Avatar. Yep. And then nearly 20 years older than the other two films it's, been, it's lost to. So, I mean, that's wild to think about. But I think, yeah, that last shot for me... Because, I like I said, I watched it over two discs because it was on Netflix. Oh my- <laughs> that's that's awesome. with it. Yeah, that's Same We've awesome. Gone with the Wind. Yeah, exact same, same situation. Um, but Double disc. The... I was sitting there going like, oh, this is really good. Like it was a really well-paced two DVDs because the, the first DVD ends when they hit the iceberg. Oh, really? And I think that's really good because I'm like, they hit the iceberg and then the second part is all the, just all yeah. of the, the two hours of fallout. that occur. Basically,
1: the genre, the genre switch. <laughs> yeah, the genre switch.
0: <laughs> and um, I think that's really, really solid. But it's, yeah, what was I saying? Um, Yeah, it's that last shot. That really just mm. hit like a wrecking ball. And I was like, wow, I just got attached to all these characters. In yeah, this, it's a... in this Downton Abbey movie <laughs> <laughs> on water. <laughs> it,
1: no, it is a wonderful <laughs> final shot because, it, I mean, it's so famous, this idea of we're taken. I mean, this was like his thesis, James Cameron, in terms of there were so many people out there who won't be able to, because I think he did some dives and found the real Titanic. And I think some of the photography in this film, especially the early diving stuff, is just James Cameron yeah, diving I, at the real Titanic.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I legitimately think this film is... Well, it's his magnum opus because, yeah, you're 100% right, or his thesis mm. because everything in this film to me screams James De- Cameron. I mean, from a director's corner point of view, this is this is it for me. Mm. Like, this beats Avatar because this is authentically him as a person too. This, this this could easily be, oh, well, what's Cameron's Fableman's? It pretty much is this, because sure. we're getting, like you said... I mean, he goes on after this to make four consecutive deep-sea diving documentaries before mm. Avatar, and was already an enthusiast at the time. And like you said, and you can see it in that opening sequence, how well-sequenced the deep-sea diving is. It's authentic, yeah. but it genuinely feels like every bit of dialogue that's being said, the, how the, the the arms are working, that's not science fiction. That's real. That, yeah, and well, it's,
1: it, it's funny because like, I, was, I was noting that in my comments, like the Snoop Vision headset, and it's like, that's all like super advanced for early 90s diving, I imagine. But it's like, it's the Titanic. It's probably the most important expedition yeah. you could do, especially at that time.
0: And it's real. Like, yeah. that's stuff that actually existed and... I just think it's really interesting because it's like he's not trying to do like a futuristic thing there because then he goes on to make four consecutive deep sea diving things where he's using the same sort of stuff. Yeah. Like, he clearly thought about... And then if you watch it sort of play out, you know, the the arc of the story actually is the crew. The deep sea diving crew is the ones that go on the arc. Mm-hmm. Because um,
1: they're being told the story the way that we're experiencing the story.
0: I mean it comes back to that opening. It's is it great. Guy Pierce is Guy Pierce the It's actually it's
1: Bill Paxton who plays Brock, the main yeah. xavier ex- ex- guy yeah, um who's that. trying to find the I guess the diamond what or was the, guy the necklace.
0: Well, originally, was oh, I get I get I get where you're coming from that. But I mean, it's t- easy, it's their arc because they're really arrogant and they don't really care about the Titanic. They just want the diamond. It's the oh,
1: to an extent, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a fascination with the diving, but like you said, when they, uh, there is a bit of that because they pull out the safe and there's all these wonderful relics that are like slipping out, like the the photo and the book log and all these things that are really important to Rose and Jack and the characters on the Titanic, but are, are, are inconsequential to the divers of today because, mm. yeah, right, they trust trying to find the diamond. So there's an excitement there, but you're uh, right, but, it's a bit but, more capitalistic. But, than, but it's a
0: capitalistic. I mean, yeah. they even say, I mean, it's it, Paxton's opening his introduction shot is him recording the, mm, the thing and then recording himself <laughs> being like, giving that theory, you know, that real, like, philosophical thought and then they're like, you're full of crap and he's yeah, like... He laughs. He laughs because he is full of crap. Yeah. Like, 100%, they are literally they aren't indiana jones in that moment no, they're not no. it belongs in a museum they're the other side the monetary they're the bad guys in indiana jones they're yeah. going in just for the financial gain and obviously paxton's character is uh, is feeling the pressure mm. you know because he's been funded and he hasn't got anything to deliver on it but um they're the ones who actually undergo the arc because by the end yeah. of the by the end of rose's story they're weeping they're sad they're Conservative yeah. Paxton throws away the cigar to celebrate. They've thrown away the idea of even searching for the diamond. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, Well, it ties it ties back into this thesis that I was saying with James Cameron, and that he wants to take people to the Titanic, and much like with the audience are being taken to this very authentic recreation of the of the boat and the event and the timeline of it, um, with a few fictional characters <laughs> thrown in there every now and then. Um, for example, Molly. I didn't realize Molly. That's a real character. Or a real person that it's based on who survived the Titanic. Oh, And okay. there, there's plenty of characters in here that are based on very real people. It's only a handful that are actually fictional, which is like, I guess, your roses and your jacks and whatnot. But taking us there, but then also having these characters, the modern-day divers, have that same experience and, and that understanding of, oh, there was so much, there's so much sadness in this event and we're so moved by the loss that... that you're right, there is no point to search for this diamond anymore. Yeah. like it's it's gone and obviously it's not gone but but also the the brilliance of having this story which like like we said could be penned as just a you know a teen love story and and completely dismissed is like the real narrative is based around the search of this relic that was lost to time and lost to this boat supposedly yeah. and that's <laughs> that's really what the story is structured around but we don't care about that by the end of the film no yeah.
0: and i i think it's one of those things that um even the love the love story to an extent is supplement like it's a supplementary story like it's because it's about sure Jack and Rose's narrative is you know we do feel the love and we mm. and, and we, we get immersed in their romantic narrative but like a, like you said the genre shift happens like by the midpoint of the movie Jack and Rose love each other yes that that, that whole, goes from, like forbidden <laughs> love is, is is overcome halfway yeah, for the like, film yeah. she never looks back after this like you know, despite the the continual efforts mm. from, oh, I forget
1: his name now. Oh, from the husband or Caledon, uh-huh. Caden, isn't it? It's yeah, that's, that's the name of the character.
0: Yeah, yeah. Cow. Billy Zane. Cow. Oh, Cow. Um. Yeah, like Caleden. you know, despite Cow keep trying. I mean, it's pointless. Yeah. Like, if anything, he just goes a little bit crazy and loopy. But. The, like you said, oh, the genre shift, his the, whole
1: like arc is just
0: like derangement. Yeah, the, the genre shift <laughs> happens; it becomes a survival film in the yeah, second half. of the Exactly, film. it's a disaster movie. Yeah, and and <laughs> the sheer scope and watching that sort of unfold. But there's so much to like about it because, like you said, they don't come together at the end. Like they have like maybe a, the 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 smallest of falling outs, but it never really feels like Rose believes that Jack stole the diamond and and that and such.
1: No, and no, they're very momentary. You know, sprouts of drama to get them sort of separated in that moment, or, but yeah, the the love never goes away.
0: Yeah, so it, it ends up being like yeah, we like we said we, that survival disaster film, and and I think what I just love about the film is it it just it, because of the scope that we've played around with in the first half of the film, the disaster has like, the Titanic is a character, it's mm. an organism, yeah, and we watch the organism die. Yeah, in it. and it becomes traumatic in a way because, you know, from the earlier the and how slow it all paces out from the mm. the oh let's get the lifeguard like the the life vests on and we see the difference between the classes and how that proceeds and yep. how it sort of neanders along. People are unloading the lifeboats, but they're not going at any pace or speed really and hastiness and it it's so much more interesting than like just norm- everyone dying <laughs> immediately. Yeah, or, or or even even not even immediately, just like the fact that it occurs over like the film has the 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 audacity to go, no no, this desire you're going to watch this play out mm. methodically and slowly. Yeah. over 90 minutes rather than, mm. than me giving it to you in the last 20 or the last 30 in a 2-hour like film where it just turns into like an MCU film where it's just an explosion of of, here, of here is the
1: conclusive up. climax. The uh, and then yeah. it's over. It's like no, yeah. this is half the film is just like this devastating slow burn of disaster, and
0: because they want you to feel the fifteen hundred people that died. Yeah, only, and,
1: and my understanding fu- is that James Cameron pretty much mapped out a very specific, detailed timeline of the boat's life and death, yeah. and like to the hour what was happening. Uh, during the whole period where it was slowly sinking under uh, underwater, and basically wrote a story around that specific timeline. It's kind of like writing like a wedding comedy, where the structure's there. The uh, weddings have very much the same structure, at least like Western weddings do. And then writing stories around that structure. And that's exactly what James mm. Cameron did with the Titanic. But like you said, even the 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 visual, the embodiment. Uh, what was the word you used with the, the boat being like an organism? Yeah and like the fact that there's all these different levels obviously for different classes, the, the residencies but then you have the, the people shoving the coal in at the bottom, sort of feeding it life, but then how that all turns into this sense of entrapment when, when it's all falling apart, characters are constantly getting trapped, drowned they're falling from large distances to their deaths I love that turn in terms of this thing that's meant to be this wonderful giant organism that's the fastest ship, the biggest ship, turns into a death trap Slowly over the whole film, yeah,
0: and it's, and they take that time you know the the first time they put all of the all of the uh propellers on and mm. they're motorizing the boat through the water and and we watch as we, the 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 command moves from the top of the deck all the way down, and yeah it's interesting because you know I it threw me back though much smaller in scale, you know when I was on my holiday mm. in, in January and we went on. We went on the replica of the the Amity, which was the first. Oh, in, in Albany, um, in Albany, yeah. We yeah. went on both. We went on nice. the the Shane's uh, Shane's Four, which was the last ever whaling um, boat mm. um, when we we banned whaling in the early eighties. And you know the the boat was commissioned in like nineteen fifty three, so the boats like the boat itself is like the vessel is like what seventy years old. Mm. Um, but going through and you were allowed to go through the whole thing and obviously the Amity was a little bit smaller because it was a brig and it's from like the sure. colonial era and it's a replica but the, what I found really interesting between the two obviously the, particularly the Shanes 4 was the able like they had left almost everything pretty much intact or like as is mm. and you really get an idea of one how small some of the clearings were. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Which obviously there was another fun trivia fact that in the in I know what you are talking room, about. Yeah, all of the stuntmen had to be five foot or less. Like, <laughs> so which, well, even
1: like some of the staircases in in the production design was made bigger to accommodate how people are just generally taller in the '90s yeah. than they were. Well, it's in like in Leo, six 10s. foot
0: something. Like he's not super tall, but he's not short. Yeah, so it's like really interesting that like and what i found I, I mean on the the brig i couldn't clear anything like in the cabins. Wow, yeah. i was squatting i mean you're very tall to be fair oh, I'm, only, <laughs> I'm, I'm not super tall i'm tallish um what six two
1: i'm only six two <laughs> <laughs> but on the oh,
0: even on the Shay there were parts I, I had to like duck down obviously yeah sure loose is five one so it's like <laughs> you know she was having a great time but I would not do well on some of these. I would not do well... I I would not do well on the Titanic because I couldn't clear half of the places, to be honest. Um, but it's interesting to think about, like, just that... Like you said, uh, I love the comparison and the fact that these these, these living organisms and they become these claustrophobic death traps. Yep. Like, yep. it's so true. The whole... In the second half of the film, the boat turns... A, the Titanic turns against everyone on it. its inhabitants. Yeah. Like... Because of it, it's almost being mistreated and, and acting out in that way, and
1: well, even just like the way all the the those gates that are closed and like how many characters are just like trapped and to their deaths because they can't get through these doors that are meant to separate the classes. And and I got to say, this is my favorite example of vertical classism storytelling since Parasite. <laughs> it's pretty great.
0: It's so great. Right.
1: Some more at the bottom, but that I'm imagining that's exactly how it was designed. Of
0: course, it's how it was designed. Yeah, but uh, I guess they just didn't. You know, and it's ironic now because, like, if you look at planes, obviously you've got first class and 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 economy, and they've actually mm. proven. That the top of the plane's the most dangerous part. Ironically, oh, interesting. In a crash, they actually say the people in the economy have got more chance of surviving. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, it was a fun fact. Ba- about
1: time we get something. Yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> Pay five thousand dollars left to be safer. Um, there you go. <laughs> but um, it's really interesting because you're 100 percent right. Obviously, that verticalness and it's really cool because obviously Jack is wins this opportunity through a hand of poker and is the ultimate yep. opportunist and fantastic
1: I, I, scene because you can hear a literal ticking clock yeah during that scene and it's like you're meeting this character the first time but you know that there's like this fate that's associated with him you know he has to get on that boat and it's about to leave so I, lo- I love the literal ticking clock they put into that scene as you yeah. meet
0: Leo's character because there's that what if isn't it there's a yeah. lot of what, if, what ifs in there what
1: if he lost that hand yeah what <laughs> if he lived to be 101
0: <laughs> so true so true so crazy but I mean, what would you like to... What would you like to talk about with Titanic? Well, I think
1: now's a good time to get into the characters. Because yep. there's quite a few I want to talk about. I mean, first you got Leonardo DiCaprio in an earlier role. Of course, he's oh, very young I was going to
0: say, because, you know, these actors now are huge. Yes. A lot of them. But I'm, like, looking at the cast, and I would say... I would argue that going into the film, like... Kathy Bates would have been one of the few like names. Oh yeah, yeah. going in like so several is, years after Misery, she's, she's yeah done like tons of and she she had been in quite a few things. But I, I was trying, I was looking at the cast and like obviously you got Kate Winslet and Leo, you yeah. are huge names now. But I guess at, Leo, the time, at that though, point, we're... I guess he's had what he, What's Eating Gilbert Great, he's yep. had Romeo plus Juliet, so maybe he's yep. got a little bit of clout there. But this is not I the think Leo I think it's more know. just
1: like the 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 young like young hip star yeah. like we got the young, the heartthrob
0: the Chalamet of that year yeah, the
1: Ethan Hawke, Julie Delphi sort of effect um, where I think they've both become really renowned in their careers but um, I I mean the casting's pretty perfect there are a few other names that were thrown out there, other potential jacks included Johnny Depp, River Phoenix Matthew McConaughey, Christian Bale with some of those names it seems really early, that seems really early for a Christian Bale film that would have been pre-American Psycho as well, and not, I, not far off
0: though. Four years,
1: sure, sure. But I think I think the main reason he didn't get it is because I think James Cameron didn't want two
0: British people <laughs> in I could, the leads as Americans. I could see Depp. That's the one out of those names.
1: I can see it, but it would just be less interesting because you got Leo, who's playing very much just this charismatic everyman. Which and is so
0: weird for Leo. To play. It is kind of weird because,
1: like, you think about all these characters. <laughs> great uh, Gatsby, we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've always got Gilbert. Greg, we don't even need to get into that. But just yeah. uh, even like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like that character has like a speech impediment. Um, in Don't Look Up, he he has something in Don't Look Up, doesn't he? He's like, he's got like an anxiety thing. Yeah, I mean, Leo always plays characters with like ticks yeah. and like quirks, like physical quirks. And this this is he's he a just, pretty boy. He just plays a pretty boy in this. He's charismatic and lovable and. Mm but but he's also got this sort of live free attitude which obviously is the complete opposite of the socialites attitude and that's a great conversation at dinner where he's explaining his philosophy uh, philosophy to these people who were so entrenched in their own lifestyles of of wealth and and power and and like their names being very important like you have to marry this person so we can get into this this area mm-hmm. of society and i i mean that's a the great conversation The Downton era, exactly. Literally
0: Downton starts the first episode's about the Titanic. Yeah, wow. Because characters a character dies on the Titanic and that enables a character called Matthew to come in and that sort of sets up the drama for the first
1: episode. That's sick.
0: That's awesome. Seriously, watch. It. Well, I've been meaning to go yeah. back to Downton. It's a yeah. great show, but
1: I had no idea that's like the opening premise. But that's not, so cool. So
0: this classism stuff is very relevant because yeah. it's a die, dy- it's dying, and they can mention it. That—that's the whole point of Brown's character. Mm. Is this new money? But this is the new world. Brown yep. sort of bringing in that that you know this is pre suffragettes movement. But Brown yep. sort of these kind of characters. Kathy Bates character yep. represents that that the- new world woman that's going to come in and demand the right to vote. Yeah, um, yeah. And they hate that. Obviously they hate that in the moment because it's not their cultural norm. Cuz they, they, they say the new culture.
1: money like very disparagingly. Yeah. But then in terms of their personality, she's sort of the bridge between Rose and Jack. Yeah. In terms of the personality and, and they have obviously very different lifestyles, mm. but she's right in the middle, where and she's, she's able the, to sort and of bridge she's a new across. world woman. Like she yes. still
0: holds on to some traditional values of women of the time. But she still believes a woman can go out and make their own money. Yep. Um, in the 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 climax of the film, you know, she's on one of the lifeboats and she's the only person that outwardly even challenges a man yep. at first to row back and yeah. try and get more of the survivors.
1: Well you compare that to Rose's family where like, you know, her father he dies, I'm guessing. Yes. I think it's said yeah. sort of and, said. And they go right into emergency mode. We must find another man to marry immediately. Yep as opposed to someone like yeah lock like her um, down <laughs> lock her down <laughs> no exactly yeah and as opposed to, to Brown where yeah it's she makes her own money yeah and she's sort of in the in the middle of the bridge here and then the other moving on to Rose I guess a good segue there you've got other I'm curious what you think the other Roses included Gwyneth Paltrow P- Paltrow jeez no. I can't speak I mean it's Virgin
0: uh, Suicide's Gwyneth Paltrow too isn't it no that was Kirsten Dunn no it was, it was no Suicides. that, was, that was, Kirsten yeah, was Kirsten Dunn's yeah it was Kirsten Dunn's yeah yeah beg my pardon no,
1: but you're probably looking at... What, what's that period film she did? She won. She won the Oscar for. Not Romeo and Juliet. Um, how am I forgetting? She was in Hard Eight. That was a big... Oh. I didn't know that. I haven't seen it yet still.
0: Neither.
1: But I know. There you go. Yep. It's a the gr- uh, There you go. It's a great... I'm so glad yeah, I no, found no. that Blu-ray. Yeah. It's a cool little special edition version there. Um, other options include De- uh, Claire Danes, Reese Witherspoon, Winona Ryder, I bit, yeah a
0: bit old for Winona Ryder at that point. No, no, I can't see any of them.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think there's such. I mean, her beauty alone is just like mm.
0: <laughs> it's compl-
1: <laughs> It's completely breathtaking. I mean, the whole like her being drawn nude and everything. It's just, and we'll get into that scene because it's such an interesting way to play with like scopophilic cinema, mm. and we-, we will get into that. But it's just
0: draw me like one of your French girls. <laughs>
1: I mean she's absolutely gorgeous I mean he is too that's the whole point it's really the whole point. Yeah, it's it's two really the whole point two very beautiful people who are very charismatic together but she, but they play those roles so well she's such a great yeah
0: because she has
1: to play a bridge too where she's grown up in this but she's also rebellious and wants to get away she can tap dance and I, skull beers yeah, and whatnot
0: I think there's a little I'm going to knock one of the few things I don't really and it's in the earlier parts of the film mm-hmm And it's maybe it's, I think it really does come down to it's just a weird editing choice. But before she goes to the balcony and she's going to, you know, commit suicide very early on her introduction to Jack, there's a weird sequence there where she's talking about being suffocated and stuff like that. And it weirdly cuts to its voiceover with visuals, but the visuals don't complement, then it follows her. She's just running and she's upset. Right. And then she goes I feel like that there was a scene that was missing there and I just didn't really understand the the oh, okay. the editing choice behind it like I'm trying I trying to remember the scene that leads into it it's seemingly like out of nowhere like okay. that I can kind of see cuz the whole thing is we you know we have the older rose the 100 year old rose being like oh on the outside I was a well put together woman on the inside yep. I was screaming um
1: Oh that's right. cuz it cuts to the boat making that screeching sound doesn't it
0: Yeah I do yeah. remember that yeah there are some good those good moments it was just a weird I thought that that particular sequence where we introduced Jack and I think there's some like her almost slipping and falling over mm. I think it's a little unnecessary like for me I thought it was like sometimes I was like okay. oh
1: without that then he wouldn't have been invited to the dinner
0: cause that her, her yeah, like screaming true. is what yeah, yeah it's kind
1: of a functional thing yeah it is a where functional she thing she
0: needs yes. to have slipped I guess, but she also he also convinced her not to jump. (laughs) Yeah, I think. Well, that's enough to get you to the dinner, isn't it? (laughs) No, he he goes on to like like more physically. I think it's a little funny that I maybe the follow up from that the fact that the guards find him and he's like holding her, and they're Oh, and the shoes are off. Yeah, you're just like, okay.
1: That that is one of those things in your in your head where you're just like, can't they just like explain themselves, sort of? Yeah, like. Frustrated. I get it though. I, I it, but slipped.
0: But I guess then. That plays into the classism differentiation as well. The classism stick.
1: Oh, because, sure. you know, there's no way he could, like, they could be friends, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, a yeah, Fair,
0: yeah. fair bum. Like, it's just a little, little no, silly. I get it's I not get nearly you. on the nose as Avatar is. It's way, <laughs> you know, where it's just. Ridiculous, but they it's the cool
1: because they do plant those little things like you know, Rose's appreciation for like the Picasso paintings, and then how that ties into her fascination for Jack's drawings, and how that plays obviously later with the drawing her scene. Mm. Um, there's just all those little things that are in there. I love, I love the line as well from Molly again, going back to like she's almost like the one pointing out the silliness in, in that culture where she says, Are you gonna cut her meat too? <laughs> That's a really good line. I feel like I'm it's jumping great. back and forth. No, that.
0: I, no, it's all right. I mean, it's it's sort of an interesting film to talk about because really all it essentially is at its core, yeah. particularly Rose ends up being this person in in particular. Well, Jack enables Rose's connection to the lower class. So Jack meets and greets people in the lower class. Rose kind of meets and greets the, the kinder hearted people in the upper class. And then yeah. the two of them sort of mishmash together and we end up they all develop relationships with one another, one way or another. Like yep. Rose's relationship with the man that designs the ship, yes, is um, one of those more positive ones. You know, he's very upfront with her. He is. Yep. Um, his is probably the most heartbreaking mm. when they hit the iceberg and then he knows it's kind of doomed. Yeah, I think his, he, he knows everyone's fates before. One they of do. his. It's interesting because so much of the film is that subjective discourse, where it's through Jack and. Rose's eyes sure and few times there's only a few times we kind of move away from that we move mm. to Cow's perspective a couple of times yeah and then a couple of times to these ensemble characters and it's so interesting because it's like his one is one of the most like heartbreaking when he's just walking through sort of seeing all <laughs> of these people it's one of the most powerful shots where it's like he knows that this ship's going down in a matter of hours yeah and everyone's just sitting around drinking and talking <laughs> not really knowing what's happening yeah, um, well,
1: another one of those scenes, and, and sort of leads into that, is I think it's the captain who's who's telling one of the um, one of the engineers, "Oh, we got to we got to push the engine because we have got to show its speed, not just its yeah. its scale." And it's like that a couple of very small scenes like that, and the, and with the boats as well, when he tells her about the limited number of uh, backup boats, if you yeah, will, lifeboats, lifeboats, um, just tiny little things in there that we as an audience know what's going to happen. There's no need to beat us over the head with it, but the, those tiny little moments where you go away from Rose and Jack's perspective to just well, plant it. it. that that feels like James Cameron bringing up the timeline of the the ship's life. I think it's. And putting per- it in the I mean,
0: script. at the end of the day, it's what we're doing is you know to quote White Noise is we're just watching a <laughs> we're watching a disaster play out, aren't we? And it's the uh, pure fascination motion, with yeah. the, the. But it is because it's these little things. At the end of the day, when a tragedy like this happens. And you know this film was brave enough, to, brave enough to address this sort of tragedy, because it was so far removed. It's eighty four yep. years into the future, and when this yep. film was made, it's eighty two years into the future. So, it's it's one of those things that it's brave enough to tackle it because it's so far away. But the reality is, is he is essentially doing like what those those air crash air um air crash investigator TV shows are doing <laughs> at two o two a.m. The captain decides to do this thing. And it's yeah, like yeah. At the end of the well, day. Well
1: Tar- Tarantino does at the end of one's Pandam in Hollywood.
0: Yeah. With the,
1: the, the narration, they've got the time coming up on the screen. It's, this is a little less overt, but it's the same thing. It's documenting the yeah. lead up to it. Because yeah.
0: at the end of the day, like, you know, and we see that, um I find it really funny the the early the, the, the almost the prologue of the of the before Rose goes back and we go back in time. Yeah. They get the the digital reenactment of the Titanic yeah, hitting the iceberg. It's
1: actually kind of brilliant because again they're showing showcasing the technology of the now, yeah. along with you know the the scoop the Snoop vision and all of that. But they're telling the audience for those who aren't aware about the 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 historic nature of this or how it actively went down, we're literally just going to show you how it happened, yeah. so that when you see it later on in slow motion. you you just know you you understand the impending doom yeah
0: well why couldn't they move out the way like that's the whole thing like how did this like I that's one of the big things is how does anyone not see the iceberg coming and it's like well, this movie pretty much tells you. It yeah. has that forensic side to it. And it's so funny. Rose's line is, oh, well, that was a very forensic retelling of what just happened. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to give you the actual personal account. Yeah, I think that's it's not how inter- it felt to be there. Yeah. And that's what makes the arc really obvious that it's about that scuba team gaining that empathy for that, like to actually mm. have the real world weight behind what they're doing. Yeah. Because they are visiting a, a mass gravesite. site. Um, without even and not really carrying that emotional weight with them because no, they're so no, fixated yeah, on finding the diamond, are,
1: which which you can extend to James Cameron's wider career because in Avatar, Jake Sully kind of has not not an unsimilar arc where he he's sort of taken on this very scientific military mission uh, that is is quite inhumane in terms of the of the native species on this planet and that yeah. he goes to care for the people there, so it, it it's not unsimilar this journey in titanic where we go from the the historical interest and forensic value of it to actually having empathy for the people and the lives that were lost that day
0: yeah and i i think it's so yeah obviously having that and then watching it play out in the next like that next 90 minutes was it's just brutal Mm. it's just so brutal because you're you're like you said you especially when you hear those little peppered lines where it's the oh what if the captain had just gone nah I'm not going to do that I'm not going to cave into the publicity man yeah <laughs> <laughs> pushing but it was his last it was actually his last ever voyage like there's so man. many, you know when you think about it it really is and I, I know this is why this in particular Titanic has had multiple films made about it yeah because in a lot of ways I'm surprised we don't people... have films
1: like this for like the Hindenburg and
0: big tragedies I know we're getting Oppenheimer later this year it's so. the perfect tragedy but... though isn't it yeah and, and yeah 100% you're, you couldn't say like obviously what with Nolan's doing with Oppenheimer it's like we're going to talk about another massive tragedy that is now 75 80 years removed but mm. we're really going to grasp the scope of that yeah that damage and that's such an interesting you know like I said a failure of
1: human ambition
0: if anything yeah and it's that line where he's like it was unsinkable it's made of iron it's Definitely sinkable. No, 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 <laughs> like that's just marketing. What it's a yeah, said. it's a marketing tactic. It's a buzzword. Exactly. Yeah,
1: like people it's... take it literally. They don't. They're not worried. Yeah. And you see that as well. Like especially with the the class division in the lower decks of how. Um, the people underground, as soon as the ship starts sinking, it's just complete chaos in there. Like they've got to get the hell out of there. They're the first to get sunk, to get to get drowned. Yeah. And then upstairs, people are still trying to like calm each other down. And oh, there's nothing to worry about. Let's have the, let's have the music going. Which, by the way, we have got to talk about the musicians. Oof. Is it a quartet? It's four of them. Yeah, it's a quartet yeah. It's oh god, it's, it's so brilliant. I completely forgot about this because this is of course the second time I've seen this film. We watched it last night. I forgot the brilliance of them feeling like they need to play because they've been hired to and, and to calm everyone down and then having that moment of, well, no one's really listening to us, but let's play one more time. And then right at the end, they're right about to give up, like, okay, we're about to die, but they play one more song because <laughs> it's, like, it's almost just for them now at this point. Yeah. It's just, why not embrace in this moment yeah, before really, our deaths? It's really beautiful. Oh, it's fantastic. And it's a perfect one, two, three you know, plant reminder payoff sort of yeah. bit of storytelling lost in this massive scope of a film. It's it's phenomenal. Yeah. There's so many just clever things in there.
0: Yeah, and I really do like that the film elongates that process and we watch a lot of these not beloved ensemble cast members, but the people a lot we of know now. Dutiful um mm. cast members. I think that's like to me what i love about this film is is like i said the the arc lies in the crew of the present they're the only yep. ones that actually undergo any form of character change the rest of them are just history people like people in history yep. who are just enacting and you know you look at the captain and yeah okay the 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 death the poetic death of the captain going down a ship he goes back to the quarters to die mm. but it's that dutifulness his first mate is the one you know he takes his own life after he kills someone yeah and, oh my god that's such a good scene um but then when given money from cow he throws the money back in the face because yeah. he follows duty first and yeah. it's that and then what i love is there are so many of these first mates that have their duty bound mm. but only within the realms of their own humanity and then there are human greed seats and some of them are on their lifeboats and they get away and obviously brown has you know mrs brown has that debate with the shipmate on that one who's like we're not going back because they'll ravage the boat yeah but then others like that the one that i'm pretty sure is mr fantastic in the fantastic four (laughs) film i'm pretty sure it's him i can't confirm it i i'm gonna confirm this for you but but the the mate that goes back to try and save all of the people that are in the water I I thought he was Mister Fantastic in the Fantastic Four films.
1: Yeah, you're talking about the
0: 2005 one, of course. Yes. Yeah, yes. Um, he obviously chooses to actually do what everyone does in the first place: put everyone in the lifeboat, one lifeboat, like they were supposed to be, and then go back and get more people. He is indeed in
1: Titanic fifth officer Lowe. Boom! Look at you go, Zeke. Well done. I can't remember the actor. Lone gr- Gruffith. Grufford. Lone Grufford,
0: yeah, that's him. Well done, thank you. <laughs> I never, I
1: didn't notice that at all. That's awesome.
0: There we go. <laughs> um, he goes back and uh, and saves it. Well, saves six people, but it's like yes. one of those things where. But it's, at
1: that point, you're saving save who you can save, which yeah. is a quote from The Last of Us as well.
0: It's crazy though, like the little lines of dialogue when, like, the guy who's designed the the ship is like. Some of them only have twelve people in them. How did that happen? Like, yeah, that blatant in almost incompetence of the moment. Or- yeah,
1: well, exactly. Of just like priorities are not in place. The priority should be to get out as many people as possible. And again, it's just this, not even just class warfare anymore. But it's also like, I how many times the phrase "women and children" is said in this film? Like, I knew that was like a common thing, and that's a Bill Burr joke and yada yada. But it is such an important part of like an hour of this film Yeah, is the fact that they're trying to get women and children on there uh, which, you know, say what you want about that but it's like, I wonder if they just didn't bother with that level of profiling how many more lives they could have saved that night.
0: Yeah, 100%. It's this film is yeah. definitely challenging. It's, you know, because obviously it's at a, it's actually at a point of such um, gender revolution because, you know, like mm-hmm. I said, the suffragettes movement is two, three years away. Um, or a couple of years away Obviously World War One's right around the corner Like we have a lot of things That are about to happen That I think people forget That 1912 This is mm. when the Titanic sinks You've got World War One in two years You've got the suffragettes movement in the next four or five years
1: They mention the stock market crash The stock in market 29. crash
0: happens in about 15, oh, well 18 years Yeah. So which,
1: it's, which is apparently
0: how How he dies Yeah how, is it Cal? Cal? Cal. Cal. But it's so interesting because you're 100% right. If they had not held on to such prideful gender um, gender values, more people would have survived. I was
1: nice talking about gender values on the Cinema Science Show podcast.
0: But it's I true. It. And it's, <laughs> it's ironic though. because it's that moment <laughs> when um, the guy, the hype man guy, the, the publicity man, one of the coordinators of the ship, he jumps on the boat with all of the women and children... Yeah. And is met with that disdain from the first mate. Yeah. From, I think it's Murdoch. Um, I think his name is. I um, think you're, yeah. Yeah, that um, sounds correct. But obviously, at that point in time, we are bought into all of the cultural values of, of the... This is a this is a 1912 picture. Men have those values. And yeah. Or even the shot when Rose is being... Decides to go on the lifeboat and is getting um, sort of uh, pullied down. And we watch... She's, basically, jacked, she's forcefully cowl, put on that yeah, boat, yeah. Looking at her with, with different looks. But what I find really interesting about that shot is the man next to those guys mm. who's also included in that shot, Yeah, who has his wife and all of his daughters in the boat going down. And we get three different reads on women and children going in the boat mm. there. You know, we're watching a father see his kids for the last time. Yeah, And, you know, I actually reckon in a way... The fact that Cameron's left that in there he wants us to actually look at him not at Jack and Cal, because let's because be that's where the track like the story that we're
1: following specifically is in front of us but just to the corner of the screen is its own story that that's, that's yeah. just as if not more tragic than what's happening here yeah absolutely yeah um it yeah it's uh, there's so many of those little stories that is fascinating I mean even to what we were just saying with Cal pretending like this random child he's found is his daughter in order to to Get away himself, and just how despicable that that character is. <laughs> he he shoots. He shoots at Jack and Rose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's interesting. Now the- he's
0: he's a laugh to me. I actually reckon he's probably the only part of the film that I'm not a big fan of. Too he's too like la- he's comic too much book. of a caricature. Yeah, he's just comic book. It mm. is. Like his actually his henchman to me has more more depth (laughs) more depth and value he's like and it's funny because I don't know if this was a makeup choice or something or or maybe at the time maybe he just has
1: oh the uh, he has
0: like eyeliner he has like but he also has like a plastic face yeah maybe it's the eyeliner that really emphasizes it but he looks like he has had like plastic surgery and maybe that's just the demeanor of of his face, but he looked like plastic in his look. He didn't look like a normal
1: standard skin to maybe, me. Maybe he's meant to look artificial. Yeah, maybe. In that sense, yeah.
0: He, honestly, as someone who watched Spielberg's AI, he looks like... Um, <laughs> what's his name? Oh, no. Jude Law. Oh. The, yeah. Who has, like, that <laughs> plasticky look. That's funny. But I don't know. I, I think to me, yeah, he's that... I mean, he's the Lang in... in, um avatar isn't he he's that comically laughable comically bad, evil character where you're just sort of like okay I feel like you would have given up at like after the first attempt to kill Jack like why do you care so well, much I, about Rose Yeah, I feel because I
1: made that point in my write up of like just the fact that he has he given so many opportunities to leave the boat save himself Rose clearly doesn't love him And yet he just can't let go. He is so angry and spiteful that something didn't go his
0: way But it's like, there's a... Like, for me, I think that's my biggest attraction because the horror shouldn't be this in... Like, he's constantly the state of danger. And actually, he becomes a non-event in the last 20 or so minutes when, yeah, he moves into the narrative of impersonating a... And I, I actually think his story should become more about that Mm self-preservation. That he's this horrible person that we really want. We're watching all of these really nice people being killed. Like we watch um, Jack's friend get squashed, and the uh, um, the Irish dude getting shot. And it's like, you know, we're watching all of these really nice, good-souled people dying while this horrible roach of a person is still alive. Is preserving. And that Even when be... he's
1: he's so determined to exact revenge and not leave the boat that he really should die yeah. at some point. And I think the fact that he, he supposedly kills himself during the stock market crash, you know, eighteen years later or seven, 17, 18 years later, is telling that like he just went on to not have a life. What what was the point of him preserving his life? He just went on to, you know, be s- upset about his financial situation anyway.
0: Yeah. So I
1: think that, that's all very intentional. But I, I I wonder if it's just like this very serviceable reasoning that you know, we, we want Jack and Rose to get away safely and to be together and he's just like an extra obstacle on top of the, yeah. the destroyed ship I, I kind of agree with you I don't think we needed it, it was almost just frustrating how many times he did and I will say is that if there was something you if you would cut this down to two and a half hours you would probably cut that whole sequence where he chases them down yeah, to the, the lower only, decks the again Because it's kind of repetitive at that point Yeah,
0: because the only, the only thing we get out of that Is Rose gets the jacket that has the diamond in it.
1: Right That's it And then there's 20 minutes of them being stuck again And then they're back on top That feels like a, he's trying to work him into the timeline of the boat sinking But that it felt quite repetitive at that yeah. point
0: So the only thing she gets out of it is the Is that, the necklace Which is which just you a MacGuffin
1: It could have happened any other way yeah, her There's... getting the jacket. Well, she gets the jacket. Doesn't he give her the jacket before she gets on the boat? Yes. So at that point, if she jumps on the off the boat or back on to meet with Jack, at that point, he doesn't need to be in the story. So that whole chase even with the gun doesn't need to be in there. Yeah. I think it's Look, I'm it's... not complaining. It's a I... fantastic film, yeah. but I'm just saying if there was something to cut, trim the fat. It would be him. Yeah. And that whole second chase down the stairs,
0: whatnot. So, Jack... Oh, sorry. So, Jack... Oh, no. I I wish I was as handsome as Jack. Um, Jake, but I did outlive him. Before we jump into a highlight scene, there's one more question i got. <laughs> okay. Oh, we- I, I know what this is. <laughs> 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 could we fit two people on that piece of wood?
1: Okay, you know what? I don't think you could. No. I The film...
0: I makes a point that he's too it's too much weight. It's and you know what? I tell you, you wouldn't what, be able to as do someone it. who is who's been lucky enough to, you know, go swimming in the summer in a pool <laughs> and had inflatables <laughs> that are designed for two people, it's yeah. quite difficult to get two people on it. They
1: literally, a, literally they she gets on and then he tries to climb up and he's putting too much weight on the side that the whole thing's about to
0: flip. Yeah.
1: And he literally has a monologue earlier in the film before she, she she's about to jump in. To the water and he has a whole monologue about how like the the physical and psychological effect being in that freezing cold water would have on you and your body yeah so in terms of like logical thinking the film establishes that and that he's physically too heavy to get on the door so i don't care if the door is physically wide enough to fit two bodies
0: that doesn't account it's the buoyancy for... exactly it's the it's the weight that clearly was the problem. So I do not understand. The film maybe, shows that! Maybe. <laughs> may what I, The only thing I could be like is, why didn't Jack, after like, someone died, mm. attempted to go get another piece of buoyant material? Right. With the captain with the whistle, like, Jack was clearly stronger than a lot of other people that sure. were around him. Because there's a moment when they're both talking and then like, it's getting a lot quieter. Yeah. At that point, surely there's someone nearby that you could have like something buoyant to like support you. But even then, Jack is majoritively in the water, which means well,
1: they have the whole like you know I'm not letting go of you. They're holding on to each other, which is obviously a very sad, very sad way to end that that love in their relationship. Mm. Um, well, to end quote unquote, obviously it, it yeah it lasts the entirety of the, Rose's life.
0: The only thing that saves it is the fact that even if he went and found like a dinghy to support himself. The only reason Winslet survives, or Rose survives, is because she's majoritively out of the water. Yes. She's on top of the board. Not that they're both... So, he is floating on that board. Yeah. But he's mostly in the water. That's what's killing him. Yeah. So, he needs Imagine to be... Imagine he's going to be frozen to
1: such a point he physically can't grip onto yes. anything.
0: He needs to be completely out of the water. There is nothing around that area... That gets him above the water. So yeah. that, to me, that in terms of film MythBusters, <laughs> that sound, I will somehow give James Cameron a pass on that one because I was like, no, I watched I was like eagerly waiting for it. I was like, you're ready for it. I'm ready to have my opinion on this conversation, <laughs> and I think people are full of it. They I, are I, looking. I've for- seen this
1: film twice, and both times I've got the same thing. I like, No, the film explains it. Yep, it's, and- it,
0: I totally buy it and they show she's one of six people to survive out of hundreds if not a thousand people so it's
1: a combination of like their performances the makeup because of just like all the, the frost that's on them and how cold they like it's it's so clear in that scene how screwed everyone is it is unbearably I mean, cold. Mr. It Fantastic's so cl-
0: going through the mass graveyard. <laughs> He's going through the killing fields.
1: Like <laughs> Like if there is not a film scene in the world that like has to sell that like the, the environment and the unlivable nature of There's that environment, it's
0: this bloody scene that does it. There's dead babies in it. Like, it's, it's more effective than the revenant. It's depressing. <laughs> it's like so bad, like when you see that woman holding a baby in her arms, and it's yeah. like, wow, it didn't shy away from any of this. This nope. is just, I am just depressed. This is, this is what's happened. I gotta stop watching these dead people. I gotta watch more <laughs> Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal. <laughs> um,
1: Jake, what was your highlight scene? Um, I reckon. You reckon? I reckon. It, okay, and it, this scene maybe it's a little cheap. There's great. There's many great scenes in this film. To Go back to the iconic draw me like one of your French girl scenes for a couple of notable reasons obviously right. we, we talked about well we didn't I kind of mentioned the scopophilic nature of it yeah. but particularly obviously you see her nude mm-hmm. you do see her breasts in it which is surprising because they they cut away from the dress unveil but then they cut back to us like, oh okay I was I was expecting that but then you have these close-ups of like Leo's intense eyes as he's like studying her mm-hmm. to obviously to do the drawing but it's like we as the audience are given that same sort of privilege because we're cutting back and forth between the two of them. So, But it also is still very, very romantic and, and how it cuts back to her as a 100-year-old woman describing this and everyone else around her she's telling the story to are all sort of swept up in the same way. I just thought it was, it was really effective and really interesting the way that he shot it. But also the fact that they've overcome the boundaries of love at this point. She's succumbed to his love. They're going to be together. But there's still a restraint. When he sees her naked, he clearly wants to pounce her, but he can't because it's this sort of
0: What's unspoken pro- role as, as, play. As, 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 the... Well, it's also as the way Rose said, he's incredibly professional. Yes, it, exactly. It really, but it's role me, play. It's all it's that. It's that flip, isn't it? It's like we could easily perceive this as a romantic scene that leads into like an intense love making. Which, yep. to be fair, it's not too far away. But <laughs> it does eventually. In that moment. She is simply and it comes back to the line where she's like draw me like one of your French girls, mm. it's an art. There's a there's yep. a there's a distance there. Yeah. It's the fact that they don't share a frame. It's a close-up on a close-up mm. on a close-up on yep. a close up. It's he looking at her and drawing and he looking at her and drawing. But like you said, the intensity of Leo's eyes, the way they've captured that dirty frame, yep. is fantastic because it's an artist looking at a piece of work. They
1: captured that dirty boy with a dirty frame,
0: and it's fantastic because it's like <laughs> one of those things where you know you're looking at it and you're you sort of like, wow, we've really taken a scene that could have become quite tacky and a little sure. void Like you said, it, it does it has voyeurism. I yes. Guess. Well, I, I would say it's more scopophilic yeah. than voyeuristic, and that's the difference. Like voyeurism to me is a negative perception. Sure.
1: This is very romantic.
0: Yeah. It's not creepy at all. Yeah, not, and she yeah. never and there's a there's never a moment of, of uncomfortability there. The fact that this is coming this this dialogue, this scene is coming from a 100 100-year-old woman yeah. telling a crew of 30 something year olds. Yeah. And they're all sitting there not cringing at it. They're actually no, invested in it. No, they're they're invested in it. Yeah. And And
1: it's a great memory for her. I mean, even when she calls when she sees the photo on the television for the first time, she calls. and says, "So I know who that is. That's me." Like there's a there's a proudness to her, and she, there, there's no uncomfortability about like her bare nipples being you know yeah, public to is, the rest yeah, of the world. Absolutely. She's proud of that moment.
0: Yeah. She course.
1: goes on to become an adventurer. Do you reckon? I probably should ask your highlight scene first. But the very ending, when we flash back to
0: that last shot, well, is that your highlight
1: scene? Do you reckon?
0: Probably. I think it's... Okay. The, I mean, if it's... A, I guess it is a scene. Because it is truly... I mean, obviously, it... I think it impli- heavily implies Rose dies in her sleep.
1: I for the exact same thing. She's, like,
0: she dies that night. And it makes sense. Because, it, you know, we talk about the people when they reach that sort of age are often being upheld either by a partner or something.
1: And There's something she's
0: holding on to. And when that something is achieved, it's almost like your essence is done. It's that it's the moment in Kung Fu Panda, right? When, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah. It's but it is you know, it's one of those moments where it's like It's like when Yoda disappears. Yeah, it is. Ether. It is the Yoda moment where it's like, or, you know, I take you take, you know, our queen died in the last year. And yes. Philip died what three, four months before, like it was something like it wasn't within, very long after it yeah. was a small period More of time before. where it almost feels like in that case it's partners holding each other up. but I feel yeah. like for this it was Rose needing to tell Titanic a very story. sad
1: example, but Carrie Fisher and her mother
0: oh yeah they died two, two, three within days. like two, three days, yeah, yeah, and it's that life force thing where it's for her, Rose needed to tell this story, yes, a story that she hadn't even told her granddaughter no. Nah. Um, or most members of their family, like she mentions it, she didn't tell um, her, the grandfather. The or grandfather, this this yep. nameless grandfather, who obviously she remarried, had kids just like Jack wanted her to. Yes. Um, and so when she told that story, that was it. The the, the like it's she said, there now, every yeah. as she said, it's now been passed on. It's every someone else knows Titanic's story now. And the, ne- the and the
1: necklace is in the water now
0: so return yeah.
1: to return to where it was once meant um, to be
0: and now that all these people you know and, and that becomes very clear you know when um they I hope they were doing an audio recording for that and someone it? else
1: has to write the bibliography I, now <laughs>
0: uh, well they weren't no they weren't they did at the start oh
1: they did he Oh, clipped,
0: he did record it that oh excellent well him. there you go what's his name again forget his name she can't profit off the book uh Paxson <laughs> uh Brock <laughs> Yeah, and, and oh, Brock excellent. obviously good. has that moment. They're all emotionally moved, and some of them, are like, like all of them, even the most cynical um, and, you know, money-hungry, they've all been reduced, and Brock was there at the start with the uh, with the so... That's a so, good catch. I didn't notice that. Um, it's the that's first thing he does, obviously... Excellent. It's, it, yeah, it's just so great. It's pretty... Ironically, it's not got a lot of holes, the Titanic... As a film, <laughs> just as a just as the boat itself, but yeah, that last shot—it's incredible. <laughs> I think you really grasp the scope of what Cameron does, and I don't—I don't think that comes off nearly as as someone who has now revisited Avatar and yes. now watched Titanic for the first time in the last couple of weeks. Avatar does not capture the same awe and essence of scope, I think, that um, Titanic does. Yeah, not in the the everlasting emotional, set. and it, you know, that, um, what's that song called? The one that... I was just,
1: I was literally in my head listening to the song. I don't um, know actually know what it's called.
0: I'm thinking of the bad flute version. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even talked about it.
1: That but. I, that I showed you earlier. Oh my God, this is killing me. What's her name?
0: It's Celine Dion. Celine Dion, yeah. That's who I'm thinking of. My heart will go on. That's it. That's it. Um, Apparently
1: Kate Winslet didn't, wasn't a fan of the song.
0: Oh, that's insane. In my opinion, <laughs> like I get it, it's probably overplayed now. But in in the context of the film, sure. What I love about it is we don't hear the actual song until the credits. Yeah. But we hear the 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 tune to it occasionally in those moments, and I think it's really quite beautiful. Yeah. And it, when it plays that last time, it is actually really emotionally moving because it's a beautiful sound. Yeah. Um, but that I think the and her ascending in that beautiful kind of um, last night in Soho, sort of POV that moves into the turnaround and she's the younger version of herself. Yeah. Um, It's just, it's pretty perfect to me.
1: I think it kind of, it worked perfectly on you in the sense that you were enjoying the film, but there there was some revelation. reservations. Jesus yeah. Christ, I'm struggling today. Um, but then it hits you like a brick when you, you don't realise how attached to the characters and the story were until that last moment, yeah. which is meant to bring you back and is meant to be this sort of reminder yeah. of what was and it lost. Hit,
0: it hit hard. I mean, it didn't hit, like, episode three, Last of Us hard. <laughs> but it hit hard enough to get, like, me a little emotional and a little yeah. teary, like, because it was... I just it did exactly really... what it was meant to yeah and yeah it did it was like the whole point was to and that's it had to say it's a one continuous sweeping motion yeah and you With literally door, you're invited can look back into the as as like the second mezzanine yeah and you see characters you recognise mm. and you realise wow this was an odyssey of a film that allowed you to like and it allowed itself to breathe and you're 100% right there are things you could cut but there isn't a lot it's probably about fifteen, maybe five, ten minutes. Right. It all
1: cut. it all adds to the journey. And like when you read stories about like James Cameron's just like paranoia about how the film is coming out and yeah, you, you understand he's been bombarded by these producers and industry folk that are just so like down on the film and prepared for it to bomb that then you sit down and watch the film, and you're like, this is
0: incredible. Like what? Yeah. What were you worried about? True. But it was a, it was a behemoth of a film production. It's fatigue. It's the madman thing. The mm. the building a ninth, tenth replica of yeah the Titanic, and everyone goes, why didn't you just build the tenth version of that <laughs> one? You know, you've gone ninety percent of the Damn it, Cameron! Way. <laughs> but you just sort of sit there, and it's like he is a madman to do something of this scope. It's insane. Yeah. And no, it it pays it's off. he
1: he his achievement with this film is is you it can't be. It is so hard to without just sitting and watching the film yeah. and being in awe at it, at the story and the way it grips you. It's a phenomenal uh, feat, and and and, I, and it I completely understand. And uh, like you can look at something like Way of Water, we don't understand how in the world it it made the money that it did or had the resonance of worldwide that it did. But Titanic, you can. It just has all the right elements. It hits all the right ideas in terms of its audience. In terms of like. Boy, it, girls could love it for the love story, but you know the guys can also appreciate it because they get emotional with it. They relate to Leo. They love the history aspect of it. Yeah. It's just this big, epic action film in the second half.
0: Um, it's, it's it swoops you. It really does. Yeah, and if anything, Titanic's coming around in nineteen ninety seven was the final hurrah of the Hollywood of old. Mm. The the. Big set pieces, big ensemble cast—like it really is sort of what the last major hurrah of the classic Hollywood blockbuster picture. Yeah. And then Ben
1: Hur, Gone with the Wind—that kind yeah, of. Yeah, and
0: then tw- you know, obviously, come two thousand and nine, you are seeing Avatar, which is the cinema of the Hollywood of the future. Mm. You know what Avatar did was it would basically it was made in forecast, a computer, see? Well, it forecast what would become the next 10 15 years with what the marvel movies became sure. you know and and it's interesting because yeah you really can and even if you go you dial it back this is in 97 matrix is 99 yeah. so hollywood of tomorrow is right around the corner so something this big in its scope yeah with its big set pieces and and costume design and it's took just, like nine
1: months to shoot it's the whole cast would and crew never got see sick. A film, I guess.
0: I mean, you could argue maybe Lord of the Rings, but Lord of the Rings even has the forecast of the cinema of tomorrow. By the time it gets to Return of the King, with what Weta was doing, and Weta went on to right, go work go, on Gollum
1: and stuff. Yeah, and then yeah. they
0: went on to go work on Avatar. Yeah. Like that was one of the. Th- so it's like. For this to be so pure... I mean, it does have some green screen elements in it, sure. But green screens... It's
1: very... Because it's, it's at that age where like, the VFX... And I don't know which version of the film I watched. It, it certainly wasn't the new 4K HDR version of in cinemas. Yeah. You watched the DVD, so it's probably a pretty original version of it. Yeah, um, The effects don't look great. But the thing is, there's not that many of them. No. Because so much of it is practical, and so much of it holds up. It's just like every now and then you get a weird shot where it's like, like a sweeping oh, that...
0: shot that's a bit off. And...
2: Yeah,
1: there's like a there's one where Leo's clearly rotoscoped into the shot. I'm like, that's bizarre. Like, why isn't the background the fake element? Like, just weird little things like that. But it's so like inconsequential. Yeah. And so rare. I mean, nowadays every shot in every movie has VFX in it.
0: Yeah. But... So uh, I think for that reason alone, it's it absolutely it's it's his best film do you think the shot
1: of Rose getting the corset fitted on her is a shout out to Scarlet in Gone with the Wind it's a very yeah. similar very similar visual thing on I think there. like you
0: said the whole Gone with the Wind Ben-Hur like yep. the Lawrence of Arabia's, like these sort of films that they're just so big and epic in yeah. scope and, and it's an event this, to see this them this is the film that finished that off yeah. That, we never got a film like yeah, sure. Where there are the event to go to cinemas, but they were never this this madman of a project. <laughs> <laughs> that is just People people thought it was gonna
1: bomb. Which it so, kind of understandable. You look I mean you hear when you just hear those stories, when you hear about like things getting absolutely bloated in budget and things going wrong, you just kinda gravitate towards that negativity. Mm-hmm. And and they were able to spin that around so much so that it became the biggest one of the biggest mm. films of all time.
0: Well, our heart will go on. Titanic mm. is currently out in wide release and Foxtel now. Well, I'll be goddamn. Speaking of streaming platforms, what's new to streaming platforms and cinemas near us, Jake? It's quite spread out this week, Zeke.
1: Spread out. So if, if you have all of the the streamers, all the streaming services, then you're in luck. You got a new Jim Jeffrey special coming to Netflix called High and Dry.
0: You excited for it? I don't know. I've seen the last two and I hated the last two. Ooh, I, I think it. for me... Strong words. I think he's he's lost his touch. Myself, old Jim. Oh, that's um, a shame. I think uh, I used to love Jim Jeffries. That's it.
1: No more guns.
0: Yeah. Bear was... <laughs> I, even pre-Bear, like his earliest stuff. I think every stand-up comedian hits their apex and then that's it. Yeah. Um, I think for him it was about 2013, 2014. And it, it, there were some... Uh, uh, and then the last one Intolerant I was like you've completely lost touch because mm. it's the for him he was an everyman comedian sure. and I think his time in Hollywood has made him removed from the everyman mm. you know he's lost that shame. that Australian Boganism to him that I think and <laughs> which universally people liked but it was just the way he would deliver it yeah and I just don't he's lost it see Bill Burr's done exceptionally well at maintaining it maybe because he maybe was a bit older or, I think it's just down to the personality. Some people that get yeah. caught up in Hollywood get caught up hard. And then Bill is... Although we weren't big fans feel, of his Two Rock special. Sure.
1: I, he's definitely nerfed to a, a extent, but nowhere near as bad. That He's still very listenable. He's still very funny. Yeah. God.
0: Let's hope he goes back to, like... Oh, well, but to be fair, Paper Tiger was really good, so... Paper Tiger was excellent. Yeah.
1: But, I mean, may, maybe just COVID wasn't the right thing for him, creatively. Yeah so yeah. he might bounce back who knows coming to Stan you've got The Humans a very divisive film from memory stars Stephen Yeun Richard Jenkins Amy Schumer and Beanie Feldstein I didn't realise she was in it that's cool mm. coming to Disney Plus you have a musical doco The surprise about uh, the Korean rapper J-Hope called J-Hope in the box J-Hope all in lowercase in the box all in uppercase nice very important Zeke you very get, important you get that correct coming to Prime you have Halloween Ends a film we, we dearly loved Zeke.
0: <laughs> I get stale popcorn. No, they didn't get stale popcorn. They got runner up or something like
1: that. Yeah, I think I think it was definitely my. It Was in mine too? The runner. Yeah, the run. It was. It was no uncharted Zeke. Yeah, Let's so not so get uncharted. that mixed up. You've also got a simple favor and three thousand years of Lonning coming to prime. So a little George Miller action for you there. I still haven't seen it. Neither. Mm, but hey, maybe now's a good opportunity to do so. Coming to binge, you got the horrible Jeepers Creepers reborn, the fourth film in the series you can listen to my thoughts on that on the Drive My Car episode episode 193 if you want to hear me rant about that film
0: God it was Drive My Car
1: <laughs> it was awesome coming to Apple TV Plus you've got Sharper which sees Julianne Moore and Sebastian Stan and simply reads a con artist takes on Manhattan's billionaires clean and simple Zeke mm. very clean and finally coming to cinemas we have, we have quite a few interesting ones coming out Okay. so I want to hear your take on each one of these we have a new film from writer-director Sarah Polly. It is actually one of the ten best picture nominees, which I think mean, is probably the least known one, least recognized one. So that comes out this week. It's called *Women Talking*. Stars Rooney Meyer, uh, Claire Foy, Jesse Buckley, and Frances McDormand. Stellar
0: cast. Love me some Jessie Buckley.
1: Yeah, and coming off her last film *Men*, mm. I want *Men Talking*. That's the next film I want to see. That's just Twelve Angry Men*. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm I'm keen I'm very keen that and Triangle of Sadness those are the two best picture noms I still need to see I've seen the other eight now we've oh, yeah. covered five of them on the show I believe
0: that's pretty solid
1: yeah Elvis everything everywhere um Elvis. uh the German what the what the what's it called Western Front oh, so all, West, quiet, on the Western all Front. quiet on the Western Front um you gotta watch Banshee's i Sharon yes you have to watch
0: that one it's excellent there's just been so much to watch recently There,
1: there is quite a lot I mean you only just saw Top Gun not that long yeah, ago no. that's that's up for best picture as well so there you go I got this <laughs> you got this Top man Top Gun for best you picture you got this let's do it also coming to cinemas we have Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey which sees the titular character and piglet become feral bloodthirsty creatures who terrorise Christopher Robin and a group of young women in a remote house you excited for this week? no <laughs> <laughs> you're, not, you're keen for Winnie the. This Pooh? is such a
0: weird film. M- murdering people. You're not excited for it. It's not actually Winnie the Pooh, though, is it? It's like well, someone who's being Winnie the Pooh or thinks that.
1: I think the Pooh. maybe they're dressed up in like I don't know. But yeah, the, I've seen the
0: photos. Yeah, so yeah. it's
1: all this is all copyright, man. Copyright laws thrown out the window. It's just old enough. You know, really? Bat. You know, the original incarnation of Batman goes out of copyright in twelve years.
0: That's not fun. That's not fun. Imagine what weird stuff we're going to get with
1: Batman. There are. I actually watched a video from Austin McConnell about this, but it's the very specific version of Batman that was introduced, I guess it was the 40s or the 30s? Yeah. Uh, So, no, like, Robin, for example. Um, A lot of his gadgets and a lot of the villains you can't use until they enter the copyright. A lot of weird rules like that. But
0: Joker's in that, isn't he? He's like his earliest villain.
1: Oh... I, he's definitely not on the one that's like immediate. It's like I read some of the villains that are included in this list. It's dude, I never heard of any of them. <laughs> it's like, not. Nah, I think Riddler might be early as well, potentially. Yeah, but anyway, there's a whole lot of copyright law going on Try there. Try
0: and beat Paul Danos Riddler. <laughs> no,
1: no, 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 that's not the way it's supposed to go. <laughs> Speaking of which, Ant Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. <laughs> is the reintroduction of Kang the Conqueror as he faces Ant-Man and co. is you say Kang the Conqueror? Kang? Is his not, name Kang. not Kang? Kang? Kang?
0: I thought he said Kane. Oh,
1: no. It's K-A-N-G <laughs> which ironically rhymes with Scott Lang.
0: <laughs> so they released the Guardians 3 poster today too. I saw that. You
1: know what? I reckon I'll probably watch it. But I, I probably have to watch Love and Thunder to understand.
0: Do you?
1: Oh, oh, they're in it. The Guardians are in that one. They're in the four movie, are they?
0: Yeah. How long are they in it for? I, I have no idea. I can't imagine very long.
1: But because in, at the end
0: of Endgame they will yeah, team
1: true. up, and they're in they're in Love and Thunder. <sighs> I know it's homework. It's a
0: shame because I would like legit would be like I didn't hate the second Guardians film. I didn't. I kind of. I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> it was fine. I don't really know. I'm just so exhausted by the idea of watching superhero movies. No, I know. Well, there's
1: a lot to catch up, because I still haven't seen the shows like Moon Knight and Ms. Marvel and all of that. And then I didn't see four. I obviously haven't seen Black Panther, the new one. And then now this is coming out. They're just building up. I think... Here's the thing, folks, listening at home. If you're running behind on your Marvel content, you're like nine or ten movies behind. As long as you're more caught up on the Oscar Best Picture noms this year, like I I have two left, and then Marvel I have like eight left. Yeah, that's fine, that's good. If it's reversed, if you're up to date on Marvel and we're not up to date on the Best Picture noms, get out of here. <laughs> you're not welcome. Get get away from me. <laughs> yeah,
0: let it go. It's let done. it go. It's what dead.
1: one day we have to cover like what what comes you guys out are later this year? Yeah, we're
0: happy to let let Star Wars go. Now let go. What we can do is that
1: if, if we can do. Guardians of the Galaxy, the third. Like trick the third, that's how they should call it. But we have to do what we do with Black Widow. We have to like catch up on all the Marvel stuff and
0: do it in one you episode. Can't oh okay. We have to do it. Not not each week. God no. My mental Yeah, I know that, but even like one episode is just We'll get we'll make a day of it. We'll get drained. together and <laughs> I'm gonna be playing Cat Stevens father and son by the end
1: of it. <laughs> Crying. Oh no. Yeah, miss... no, one day, one day yeah, we'll do it. Can I promise. Do it. We we'll can We'll catch do it. up. They did the Flash trailer today. I'll just be dr- drinking. For Which <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of in that mindset with the Flash, where it's like, how is anyone excited for this? Like the trailer, they uh, what's his name's back in it? If Michael honest, Keaton.
0: I, I had that little Renaissance when I was watching like the animated stuff, and I was like, this is pretty solid. I'm want to go back and watch the animated stuff, mm, Cause there that you stuff go. It's more interesting to me.
1: I think it's the whole, like, they haven't cancelled Ezra Miller yet aspect.
0: I don't even know what... Like, I know that Gunn got rid of a bunch of people, a bunch of people left, and there's just no DC, basically, anymore.
1: I mean, the idea is this Flash movie, which they're just so determined to get done and out the door, is meant to retcon the whole franchise. Yeah. So that's why they really want to get this one out, and then they can just start fresh. Which, hey, what, I get it, I guess, but also... uh, you know, they, they recast Kevin Spacey a month out before one of his films. That worked out well. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Is that all? Hmm? Have we got any more? There's one more left. <gasps> Very exciting, actually. Well, I say that. Apparently, it's all sold out. Oh. So I'm sorry, everyone, but I'm going to read it anyway. Finally, you're a fan of Greg Sestro, He's back in Perth at Luna Leaderville, introducing a screening of The Room, of course, for its 20th anniversary. But also his new film, Miracle... Valley. Now these are playing respectively this Wednesday and Thursday, fifteenth and sixteenth. But I told um friend of the show Sam, Sam Neil. Not that Sam Neil. Different Sam Neil that we know. Okay. Um and she replied with I checked and they're all sold out. So that's very upsetting news.
0: That's very upset. But I just You're wanted tearing
1: me apart, Jake. I, I am. I just wanted everyone to know what they're missing out on. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm a horrible
0: person. That's fair.
1: I just want everyone to know. But Zeke I don't even be watching any of those films next week. No,
0: we're not. (laughs) No, we're not. We're not watching movies about movies, but we are going inside other things. Jake, what are we watching?
1: (laughs) Don't want to know what we're going inside of. Uh, Okay, before anyone gets any ideas, next week on the show, we're watching Inception.
2: What's the most resilient parasite? An idea.
0: An idea from the human mind can build cities. An idea can
2: transform the world and rewrite all the rules. Which is why I have to
0: steal it. Never recreate from your memory. Always imagine new places he's hiding something and we need to find out what that is we got to break out of here give him the kick this was not a part
2: of the plan wake me up wake me up
1: A thief who steals corporate secrets for the use of dream-sharing technology is given the inverse task of planting idea into the mind of a CEO. But his tragic past may doom the project and his team to
0: disaster. From one Leo DiCaprio movie to another.
1: Mm, that is true.
0: Yeah. No, to be honest, like you said, we were feeling the blockbuster vibe, so we're going to keep going.
1: Yeah, it's I. you know what? It's kind of insane. We haven't done Inception. 213
0: episodes Before we decided Let's Let's nip it in the bud Well Let's tick that box Until then Thank you for joining us For the Cinema Science Show Podcast I was Zeke I was Jake We'll catch you next week With Christopher Nolan's Inception (laughs) 101-year-old. She's 100 in this film, but let's be real. Rose Witt B- 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 <laughs> Let's be really sad. 100-year-old Rose Witt buketier B- I can't say that. I'm just going to say Rose.
1: That's <laughs> 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 what Leo says in the film. I know,
0: but I'm not going to say Witt buketier Come You're on, James. Say
1: more Frenchy.
0: 100-year-old Rose tells the story of her life before the time... (laughs) 100-year-old Rose DeWitt Bukatia
2: Sorry.
0: I got it right, too. I know. 100... Okay. 100-year-old Rose DeWitt Bukatia tells the story of... I can't do it I
2: can't okay (laughs) this is it this is the one okay